children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan... Tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? I love the efficiency of bourbon. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. I mean, I got a lot to, th- I, I feel like we need to hurry up and get to bear stuff. And at the end of the show, I got a lot of stuff I can tell you about, whether that's just what I'm trying to do in my life right now to get ready for this Friday night's high school shit or stuff going wrong in my basement or drama with the Bears Packers tickets. So I got a lot to, and TV, we can talk TV later too. And, and obviously in a few minutes as well, with Jeff Perlman. Yes, that's right. We got a jam, jam, jam pack show. Jeff Perlman, the writer of Winning Time. Uh, the title of the book is actually like, it's a very long, long title. I won't even try. But he's the writer of the, the book that inspired the hit HBO series, uh, Winning Time. And so he's going to talk to us about the show and the fact that the show needs more eyes because HBO is under new management is clamping down. They're not renewing a lot of uh, great shows. Like I'm a huge fan of Perry Mason and Perry Mason is not coming back next season. And that breaks my heart. The same with you, right, Dan? I know you love Yeah, I thought season two was phenomenal. Yeah, It's such a blown opportunity. Maybe it can get picked up somewhere else. Yeah, it would be great. It would be great, especially with the same cast, because I love that cast. Tooch is in the chat room. He's not backstage. He's in the chat room saying, I love winning time. He has caught up on all of them. Great to hear, Tooch. Exactly. (laughs) He watches everything. Also, towards the end of the show, if we have time, I'd like to talk about a show I uh, have. uh, I I binged watch this weekend with my wife called Silo. Have you heard of Silo? I think Tooch has talked about it. Yeah, I I believe so. Yeah, I love that show. Highly recommend it. We'll talk a little bit about that. I'll show a trailer. Um, but I, uh, Dan and I wanted to start the show talking about Steve Mongo 
McMichael, who is one step closer to being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think I've got a tweet here. Uh, I guess they call it still call it a tweet from an X. Um, <laughs> an X. Yeah, that's right. An X from Jared Payton. He put this out. I hope you can see it on the screen. I've been given the incredible honor of inducting Steve McMichael into the Hall of Fame when he goes in as the first kid to induct his father back in 1993. It feels like history repeating itself. I'm still in awe that Mike McMongo handpicked me for this big moment. And here's some video. That is awesome. Amazing, amazing. What was your thought uh, when you saw that, Dan? Honestly, and I apologize for hitting the mic there, it made me sad so much more again to see Mongo and that, that uh, predicament. But, and I hate to make it negative because I'm so happy uh, for, I mean, he earned it he earned the hall of fame induction based on his own merit and not because people feel badly for him because of the condition. But I got to be honest with you. When I saw that, I thought, can he hear Jared? Yeah. Does he know Jared's there? Can he communicate? I don't know the answers to this. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I, I don't, does he know he's going, could be in the hall of fame? I, I don't know. I hope so. I know, you know, Jim McMahon's been there recently and obviously Jared Payton, the wrestler Rick Flair has been there. And they've taken the photos with them, and and his wife has praised them, but I don't know if Mongo talks or if Mongo hears, and mm-hmm. I hope he does. But that's what I thought. I was like, is he aware? I, I just desperately hope that he's aware. I hope so too. You know, and I, I think that in a case like this, they should really expedite. If he gets officially voted in, I'm not quite sure on the procedure, but anybody knows in the chat room, please type that out for us. But it looks like, you know, it's almost a certainty that that he's in. So why not, you know, do something before the year's end, a special Hall of Fame ceremony just for Mongo? I know, you know, if you do that, you can might have, you know, a lot of other players who are deserving and are in the last years of life, you know, they – they might want to petition the NFL, and it could, could could get crazy. But you know, sometimes exceptions are a good thing, and uh, and I, I think it would be a great thing for for Mongo, who is beloved for so many reasons, not just his playing, uh, but the guy had a larger than life personality. And the only thing that would have been better for him, uh, from a uh, a career standpoint what would have been if he would have won the mayoral race for mayor of Romeoville, Illinois, which he ran and unfortunately lost. Uh, but that, I would have loved to have seen him as mayor holding a city council meeting and pushing a bill through and stuff. That, uh, he, could have, he could have had a dictatorship in Romeoville. That would have been outstanding. Well, his personality was um, very akin to Jesse Ventura. I don't know mm-hmm. about his politics, but you know, Ventura, of course, was a wrestler. Mongo wrestled after the Bears. and But Jesse, you know, ended up being mayor and then ultimately governor. So And and that was moderately successful from what I recall. Uh, but Mongo had a very over-the-top, like you said, uh, sort of disposition such as Jesse Ventura. Like, he was really made for wrestling in so many ways. Was. Uh, so, yeah, he could have – maybe he could have pulled it off. Again, I have no idea which side of the aisle he was on at all. I don't know if I ever heard – all I ever heard him really talking about other than football is rattlesnake hunting. 
<laughs> That's right. The other memory that I have of Mongo off the field was uh, the local NBC station uh, here, I think for a year, maybe two years, they had him on Sunday night at 1030 as their Bears uh, uh, host to talk about the game that day. And Mongo would always, always show up totally fucked up. Just he was, oh, he was messed up. And sometimes it was scary. Like I remember one show, I got to look through YouTube. Maybe it's posted on there. But he pulled out a huge, big fucking hunting knife. And he, you know, it was like he was on the verge of swearing with every word. And he was drunk. And, and I'm forgetting who the co-host was. It wasn't Mike Adamley. It could have been Mark G. and Greco, Mark G. and Greco. And there was a certain nervousness going on here because Mongo was like, you know, a, 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 a wasted Mongo, an inebriated Mongo is a dangerous Mongo. <laughs> you know, it's ironic that you brought up Mike Adamley there. He's got his own troubles. Like Mike is really suffering dementia. Yeah. Big time. And doesn't know who he is anymore from yeah. you know, various published reports. Yeah, and he and he was a guy who kept himself in tip-top shape, so he could live for a long, long time. But unfortunately, in that condition, you know, that's I, you know, I, I, my mom had bouts with dementia and Alzheimer's. I don't think it's nearly it was nearly as bad as Adam Lee's is now. But man, it's it's no way to go through life, man. I tell you, there's a, another thing that I wanted to share regarding Michael is. Um, did you ever hear of the um, the baseball game, the Cubs game? Where oh, he... yeah, when he got kicked out? <laughs> yes. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> Tell me if you can hear this. Mongo's home, Chicago! And don't worry, I'll have, a, I'll have some speaks with that home plate umpire after the game. Ooh! A one, a two, a three! him out of the game for <laughs> well the rule oops uh, the, the major league baseball rule is that you can't publicly put it put up anything in the home stadium uh scoreboard or uh, anything in the pa that is threatening towards a baseball empire because you get the forty thousand fans rushing the field to beat the shit out of a guy. If you got a, I got a guy like Mongo criticizing the empire. So you know, I, I, I can see why Angel Hernandez, the empire, was not a very good empire. So he, he deserved that probably moment of fear that he had there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I understand the robe. Uh, and then the other thing about that game is that the Cubs staged a dramatic comeback. I wish I were to pull the right video. But the, it was a dramatic – did I load it? Um, I hate to play again. No, I didn't load it. But uh, it was, it was uh, you know, in the ninth inning, they got uh, uh, 
runners on base to uh, take the lead, and it was a rundown between first and third, and then second and third, and then back in first and third, and the guy on third goes home, scores, and it was a dramatic. So he missed. I'm sure by that by that time he was sleeping in a limo on the way home because <laughs> he was so drunk. You know, Mungo would go through periods too, like where he's a little heavy in that video, but he would lose weight and get back into shape, kind mm -hmm. of go up and down on that. Because, man, by the time he retired from wrestling, I know that that was so much, or football and went to wrestling, he was a, I mean, dramatically fit condition. I mean, he could have fought, had he been younger, he could have fought in the UFCs, the kind of shape he was in circa yeah. 96 7. I, I know you weren't a, a wrestling fan per se. You've told me the stories about going to Arlington Heights there in the building and how much you hated taking your your uh, younger uh, members of your family to see WWE. But uh, so Mongo was in tremendous shape at one point. So Yeah. I used to follow, when he was uh, wrestling, I used to follow it only in terms of, you know, the news reports, what the sports section would have highlights of his fight and so forth. And so I saw it from then. And his wife at the time, uh, they later divorced. She was like his manager. She was a part of yeah. the act. Isn't that that so? Yeah, she later, God, I don't want to, you know, say, I don't want us to get in trouble for libel. But at the height of, you remember in Chris Benoit killed his wife and his mm -hmm. kid, allegedly. I, I think that's a accepted fact now. Okay. Uh, and then killed himself. Well, the media really wanted to talk negative things about wrestling at the time because it was pertinent. It was relevant. So they had Deborah McMichael on during those eras where Benoit had, had the family tragedy there in circa 07. Mm -hmm. And she said that because she got with Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was for a four or five year period, the biggest like star ever. I mean, right there with Hulk Hogan in terms of like the biggest wrestling star of all time. Mm -hmm. And she said he would get drunk in character, like be in his stone cold character and abuse her physically and beat the shit out of her doing the stuff he would be on TV. Like what, what? And like in her face yelling and hitting her and stuff. Now again, that, that could all be lies. Mm. But Mongo's ex-wife again, Deborah went to Steve Austin after that. And she said he just physically assaulted, beat the shit out of her. Wow. Wow. There's something about that wrestling world, man, that it's, it, to me, every time I see a news report or I see these guys interviewed, you know, they, they are just like right there on the edge of illegal activity, illegal violence and so forth. These guys, and I would not dare tell them that their sport is fake, although I know for a fact that it is. Uh, but because I feel like they would do the same thing to me that uh, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T did to Richard Belzer and put a oh, choke on the guy and put him to sleep. Yeah, and Belzer sued. They had to pay out on that. Yeah, they sure he died did. recently, Mr. Belzer. Richard Belzer died, uh, I think, earlier this year, uh, January. Did Mike North do one on him? Yes, yes, we did. By the way, I can listen to all of those. That's fun stuff, even though it's yeah. negative stuff. But yeah, know. they're fun. Uh, I no longer do the show uh, with Mike. Uh, we passed it on to Joe Mandel because of my condition, and and I told Mike it's better if you you know maybe give it to somebody like Joe. Actually, Mike came up with Joe's name, and I told him I couldn't do it anymore. And so uh, they did uh, just recently. They did. Oh, uh, Bill Friedkin. Again. Yeah. yeah. So that's speaking actually one condition. I would have loved to have done. <laughs> speaking of your condition, can you uh -huh. tell any of us what's going on right now with you? 
Yeah, you know, my my arm is recuperating. I'm getting a little bit more motion. Like uh, when I when I bring up my arm, let's see if I can get it in the shot here. When I bring up my arm this way, it right here is where I start to feel like there's bandages in my elbow. And so I can bring it closer. His where it starts to hurt. And so, you know, unlike this arm, of course, where I could bring it all the way up to my face and punch myself in the face. So from from the swelling and stitching standpoint, it's it's still on the mend. Every once in a while, I'll get a shooting pain. I don't know if that's because the stitches are expanding or, or what the hell is going on. Um, and I think that the, the biggest thing now is I'm just fighting through the mental frustration of being in this condition. The stitches up here, don't hurt, but they're really swollen. I feel like I got a partial chest plate on when I when I walk around. And so, you know, I just want to, I thought I had a doctor's appointment today, but it's actually tomorrow and they should uh, start to uh, start to provide the rehabilitation I'll need to get my movement back and reduce swelling and stuff. So I'm really what, looking forward to that. What is the ETA on just the stitches dissolving? You know what? I don't remember asking that question. So if I did, I don't remember the response. Uh, I think one of the guys in the, uh, in the, Hey, Heidi, how are you? Uh, I, I think it's like four months or so, uh, wow. before, before they all, uh, uh, dissolve. Let's see if I can bring this thing up and show you where, where it's at there. Some in the middle, as you can see, have started to dissolve. Um, but if I had like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. If there's twelve stitches, then ah, fucking, then two of them, and then two of them have dissolved. Yeah, just that is gross. Tooch, Tooch is backstage, uh, so he's taking over the barroom network chat machine. <laughs> that is gross. Well, I'm that sorry didn't, that you felt pain there no all jokes aside, you know. No, that's fine. I'm a big boy. I can deal with the point pain. Although I gotta admit. Um, like in front of the doctors and nurses and my friends, you know, I try really, really hard to, and my, my kids, I try really, really hard to disguise the pain, but in front of my wife, ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, she should be the one person you could just be, keep her real with, you know? Yes, that's true. Best of to you, Heidi. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Um, and Michael Halitak, uh, is the team, is the team ring overly cautious on these injuries? Yeah, we're gonna, definitely going to talk about that, Michael Halitak. We are in about 10 minutes or so. We're going to be joined by Jeff Perlman, author of the hit book, Winning Time. He's also written, what's the title of the Walter Payton book, uh, Dan? Was it? It's something to play off sweetness. I forget the exact name. Yeah. I have it, and I thought it was a phenomenal book. But, again, most Bears people and Walter – and I, we're all Walter people, right? But oh, yeah. Most, like, I'm not sure Eddie Payton or Jared's going to talk about how good the, the book is, you know, right. but yeah, because it said a lot of dark things too. But I think that was his point. He said that Walter was his hero too, just like everybody else. But it was like he has more – complexities than just like, oh, he's a practical joker and he played football. And it's just like the more complete that you saw him is like the more you could actually empathize with him. He just wasn't Superman. He he actually did have problems like everybody else. And, exactly. and, and but you can almost admire him more for mm -hmm. overcoming those kind of things. 
It's not called Never Die Easy, Mr. Mayhem. It's not called Walter Payton Never Die Easy. Yeah. <laughs> the enigmatic life of Walter Payton. There you it. go. It, yeah, I mean, he talks about, you know, things like Walter had the herps and Pepsi mm -hmm. and he, he liked the fuck, you know? Yeah. He, but he talks uh, about how a lot of people, like, you know, falsely said that he liked men and stuff because his voice was high. Yeah. And, like, a lot of those things, because people tried to say that he had HIV when, when he got right. sick. Right. And all these things, is, he touches on that and defends Walter and says it was all horseshit. He didn't have AIDS, you know? So. Right. Yeah, that was, we. I mentioned the name Mark Greco. I think he was a part of that uh, in a uh, sportscast on the 10, 10 o'clock news. He, yeah. he mentions, you know, I think I said. He called him Gandhi. He said he looked like Gandhi. Yeah. Then he could take him. Right. And Gian Greco was just a, a jokester, you know, and he's gotten in trouble a few times like he did that time for, for some of his jokes. But I, he, he didn't mean anything on purpose by it, but clearly it hurt the Peyton family immensely. And when Walter met the media, he made a remark towards the, about that remark, an offhanded remark about that, you know, saying something like people will say what they want to say, but um you know, I, I don't remember the quote, but th those were sad, sad times. May for, God be with you also. Yeah, there you go. Well, well, uh, good recall. You know, one of the saddest things uh, in, I, I think, in Chicago sports history is that when they had the services for Walter at Soldier Field, the stadium was only half full. And I think it, it was had a lot to do with the city just not doing a good job. Uh, and, and, and in fact, scaring people away because it was a weekday and they were saying the traffic is going to be awful and this and that. So there are only 20,000 or so fans at that stadium. And I know how Chicago really loved Walter Payton. That place should have been uh, packed. You know, every seat should have been packed. And I wish, you know, the, the, the city would have done a better job of managing that whole thing. But um, we should acknowledge that Gian Greco and Walter did make amends. Before ah. Walter passed, and uh, Gian Thank Greco told the story and was crying that Walter, uh, who held a grudge about it, kind of went out of his way to 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 tell him that he forgave him. Like, it's not like he called Walter up, but Walter wanted to make amends with him, and he gotcha. said it was like the best gift he ever had in life. You know. Yeah. By the way, that never die easy is Walter's autobiography by Don Yeager. Um, so I apologize for, for I don't know, I'm not sure why I'm apologizing, but um, there was a book on Walter called Never Die Easy. I think that's kind of a strange title if it was written after his death, but um, I never read that. It one. had to be when he was alive, talking about his ability to not be tackled. Yeah. And just which, run over everybody and, and give them the, the stiff arm or throw them out of bounds and land on them. I mean, he... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it had to be that. It can't be after he passed away. There's no yeah. one would use that. Yeah, that would be too, way too weird. <laughs> way too I just weird. wish that we knew about Mongo, though. And yeah, like, I, I hope he knows what's happening. And it's unfortunate that it's his condition that's pushed the, this needle that way. But we'll take it for him, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I'm, and, you know, the, I, I would, I wish they would, um, memorialize these guys when they're all alive and they're all conscious, you know, and there's been, I, I've seen a few, a handful of pro football hall of fame uh, uh, inductions where the guy going up there 
to get in, in, inducted, he didn't know what was going on. He had that blank look on his face. You know, I don't remember names right off the top of my head, but uh, and, and so I'm, I'm sad that that's going to happen to Mongo or, or might happen to Mongo. Hopefully he's fully aware. And uh, when we get Jared, you know, we've been talking about getting Jared Payton on here. The, the problem, though, uh, Dan, is that he's got a newscast right the same time during our show, the 9 p.m. He works for WGN, right? Yeah, WGN. So we might have to do an interview during the day or something like that. And then well, which we were going to do with Bernard Berry, and we wish his family you know, well because mm-hmm. he's in the eye of the hurricane, the storm down there. So. That's right. Last week, we were going to talk to Bernard Berrien, former wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, went on to play with the Minnesota Vikings. Unfortunately, the California floods uh, changed his schedule, but uh, we'll try to have him back on here uh, soon. Um, and w- w- Will Wright has been doing a nice job of you know, trying to make some of these Bears players available to us. Uh, so uh, hopefully we can continue that. I was um, a legit fan of his, man. I, I mean, I, it's, I won't be kissing his ass if I tell him that for real. Well, it, it's funny because you have you have such great recall of so many Bernard Berrien moments, and uh, you know, what's your one number one favorite Berrien moment right now? Because <laughs> everybody brings up Calvin Johnson, 2010 opening day when they changed the rule because they said he didn't complete the catch and that the Bears got away with one. And, you know, we did. We we got a win that probably didn't deserve. But, as I always reference, I'd love to hear Bernard say this. It happened to the Bears in 2004 in Detroit at Ford Field. Just shitty. You know, Rex got hurt in week three, and they had Jonathan Quinn and, you know, Craig Krenzel. Although Craig won some games for us. We can't take that away from him. But Chad Hutchinson was the quarterback. It was the lost year. It was Lovey's first year. But Hutchinson threw a touchdown at Ford Field to Bernard Berry and that would have won the game. And they did that bullshit like with the catch and took it away from us. Mm-hmm. So I always thought in 2010, when everyone was saying that, I was like, well, shit, it's it's like it's a makeup call for six years ago. Of course, nobody remembered six years ago. <laughs> right. I hope Bernard can say something about it and be like, man, that was both that was a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bernard Berry had had that play in Detroit and uh my other Big memory with him was when we were in the NFC Championship game. Remember, the Saints came back. The Bears had a big lead, like 18 nothing or something, because they had a safety. Mm-hmm. And the Saints came all the way back or got really close to coming back. And Rex suddenly got hot and went five for five on a drive and, and threw it, uh, culminating in a touchdown with Barry, and that really put the game away. So yeah. Barry caught a. We always think of Thomas Jones reversing field and scoring, and rightfully so. In the snow and all that, but Barryan had a big touchdown there uh, to cement that game. Yeah, the, you're absolutely right about uh, Barryan. You know, he was uh, from a, an offensive weapon side. He was probably the third weapon, wouldn't you say? Thomas Jones first, and uh, Mushin Muhammad second, and then Barryan. Yeah, if you were going to do a pecking order, you would say that Muhammad was, you know, was a free agent. They paid him more money than Bernard. Obviously, that's part of Bernard's departure, going to Minnesota to getting a payday, which we can't fault him for, even though I want to fault him for it. <laughs> but uh, no, I fault the Bears manager. Don't let this guy go. He's your draft pick. Resign him. But, uh, but Bernard was our deep threat. He was definitely our deep threat at the time, and and was very good. And it really hurt the Bears when he left. They. You know, they didn't really get another deep threat. I guess Johnny Knox had some moments, but 
Yeah. You know, he was when he left, I felt like we didn't really replace him until we got, you know, Brandon Marshall. Yeah, I I would agree. I would agree. There was that really sad period of time where Bears wide receivers were uh, among definitely among the worst in the league, if not the the if not definitely, you know, the worst. There was just a, a dearth of talent. And uh, there were a couple of seasons there where it was laughable. And you include the fact that the offensive line wasn't much to speak of either. Bad times. And I can't wait to start talking about the 2023 Chicago Bears. We'll do that uh, in about 30 minutes or so. We'll talk about the injuries. We'll talk about the quarterback situation. We'll talk about Tyson Bajent, uh, the new hero for Chicago Bears fans. We'll have them our media mashup as well. An extra long session, about 28 minutes. So we've got a lot to go over. Is and, Jeff here uh, already? No, I uh, should be here any minute. Uh, why don't you very quickly tell us how was your weekend? You went to a, a not weekend, but uh, yesterday you were at a music festival, right? Well, just uh, Smashing Pumpkins, their their tour. Uh, but yeah, it's always tremendous. I, if you don't mind me coming back to that, though, I was going to say the Tyson kid. How do, how do you say his name again? Again, he played in West Virginia. I should know him. Uh, yeah. It's Shepherd College. Uh, Bajan. Is it yes. Bajan? Right. I, I know you're skeptical of him, and, and I am too. Uh, but uh, Greg, again, I just mentioned this to you in Twitter not to contradict you, but when you're like, oh, he's going to clear waivers, this guy's clearing waivers. But I was just going to say, Greg really thinks that the Bears will have to like protect him. Like, I, I, you know, he, when I saw that again, I was at work. I thought, man, this guy must have had like three great drives or something. I mean, it was only one possession. I mean, it just, I mean, he yeah. scored. I lo- I'm glad he scored, but I, he didn't even play the second half. I mean, yeah, I think we should pump the brakes on him a little bit. Yeah, and and by the way, I, what I put up on Twitter was if the Bears elect to put Bajent on waivers, I think that he will clear. And so uh, immediately people think that I'm not a fan of Bajent, that I, I want him to go through waivers. Yeah. Immediately people think that I'm not a fan of Bajent. What's going on here? <laughs> Even your own system thinks you're not a fan. It's just it, reiterating it. <laughs> what the hell's going on? Even your own system thinks you're not a fan. It's just wow. reiterating Where is that coming from? What the hell's going on? Even your own system thinks you're not a fan. That was my laptop. <laughs> that was. <laughs> what the fuck is happening here? Uh, no, I didn't mean to say that you didn't like him personally or something, but I no. see your point. At the time, I didn't know the context because I was at work. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was only one possession, which was a nice drive, but I thought, man, this guy must have had two solid quarters. Mm-hmm. And it was just one drive. I mean, but he was interestingly in ahead of Peterman. Mm-hmm. So maybe. Maybe they keep him as the third and and put Peterman on the practice squad. I I don't know, but I I don't think they got PJ Walker though. I think uh, let me see if I got the sound bite loaded here. Of um, here's here it is. I think this is why uh, Bajan got more snaps than Peterman. Basically, what Luke Getze is saying is that they allocated playing time based on who played the least during those Wednesday and Thursday practices versus the Colts. This is Luke Getz. Last week, I mean, we, we got a ton of reps in Indy, you know, those two days. So that was like little too many games that, that he got to play during the week. And so that's a, that's a lot of reps, not just necessarily for a quarterback, because a quarterback can probably handle it, but everybody around him, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work. So I think that's a big factor in making that decision for the previous week. 
Um, but no, I think Justin and the, and the guys, uh, um, there's been a lot of really good things going on. The meeting room conversations have been great and kind of building on what, like you know, we've talked about letting the players take it over. We've been trying to let that kind of uh, happen now. And so we're in that phase and I think they're in a good place. So we, we got a really good practice today and tomorrow. And then we get another one, we get another week of it next week. So we feel good uh, regardless, whatever coach and, and Ryan decide they want to do this weekend. So um, I, I think, you know, that's good strategies. Those, those mini games that they had Wednesday and Thursday, that was, a lot of pounding that went on and so i totally understand why most of the ones did not uh be action in saturday's game to me it makes sense you gotta you gotta take care of those guys don't you agree with that i do and i want to the and, and i i'm not disagreeing with the members of the chat group that are pointing out that walker has struggled and played poorly i can't defend uh, pj walker in that aspect and they're correct but let's just keep in mind he has played and started in the league and has some wins. Mm-hmm. And as much as we like the Beijing kid, and it's a great story, and he, he had great statistics. He won the equivalent of the Heisman uh, at his level. However, he hasn't played against starters in the NFL, and P.J. Walker has. So that he's got – you got to keep that full context. Is what mm-hmm. I'm yeah, I agree. And you'll in the media mashup, you'll hear some of those same – uh, points of view that you just shared there. And that's that's basically my point of view. Let, let me be clear about Tyson Bajent. B- B- I always have problems with it. Jen <laughs> Bajent. The guy is a, has all of the tools, the size. The, he, he throws the ball with great um, uh, precision. He throws bullets. He's decisive. He looks like the real deal. But let's remember, like, Dan said it's one drive up against seconds and twos. I mean, the seconds and thirds. Um, he's got to prove it over a course of time. Could he be the next Brock Purdy in the NFL? Could be. I'm not saying he's not. But um, at the same time, if we really want to shoot for a playoff spot, do you start the season with him as your number two quarterback? So that if Justin Fields gets hurt in a tie game in the third quarter, you're putting in a rookie who's never played an NFL snap or a Division One snap. You're putting him in there to try to win the game for Justin. No. Or are you going with a more established quarterback, PJ Walker, who had a four and three record last season? Nathan if, Peterman, who looked pretty good in that exhibition game. So, but to your point, uh, the Brock Purdy comparison, I think, is a valid one. But let's remember, it was Trey Lance who got hurt and Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. They just didn't say, well, the last guy in the draft, we like the way he looks. He's our number two. I mean, he only got thrown in there because everybody else was hurt. I think mm-hmm. that's what would have to happen for Mr. Bajan to get in there as well. So I think that the Bears will keep Walker. I, I mean, unless he just comes out and shits the bed. Remember Chad Hutchinson, we referenced him earlier. He was supposed to be the backup or even the starter potentially when Rex got hurt. And Kyle Orton ended up getting the job based upon the fact that Hutchinson was so bad in the last preseason game. So mm-hmm. it would have to be something like that to get P.J. Walker cut, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, sometimes the guy is a little slow to pick up a new offense, and clearly that's what's happening with P.J. Walker because I do believe that he's got talent. Uh, Luke Getze was asked, you know, does Bajent really have a chance to be the number two quarterback on this team? This is his response. I mean, anybody has a shot, right? All, all, all three guys have done a really nice job through training camp. I think you guys have seen um, 
like like most of the guys in our in our training camp, there's been good days and bad days for for uh, for everybody in those three specifically. So uh, we're taking all that in. And, you know, I know he had he had a great drive, and that makes that's exciting for people. And but that's one drive. So we it's, we're gonna make that part of the evaluation. Uh, but we're gonna take the whole training camp uh, evaluation before we make a decision like that. There you go. Almost. Do you think that maybe words. PJ Walker? I think. If I were the Bears, I would play him at least a half against mm-hmm. Buffalo just to see what he's got. But do you think maybe – let's just – obviously Fields is QB1. And yeah. maybe Bajan is third. Do you think maybe Walker, if he gets cut, is because they like Peterman more and they keep Peterman as the third or the backup? I mean, that could be plausible. I think Bajan maybe has got a spot as the number three and maybe Walker's battling Peterman for two. Yeah, and and then the big thing, I totally agree with with you on that. I I think we all know what the ceiling is for Peterman. He's been in the league now, what, six years? We know he's never going to be a number one quarterback. He's a backup quarterback that can get you, you know, if he's got to play for five weeks, he can get you a couple of wins. But uh, what we don't know is about Tyson. Can he become a true number one quarterback? Or at the very least, can he become a quality backup quarterback where you're not, you know, saying, you know, the sky is falling if Justin Fields has to miss a month of football? Uh, so that's what we have to learn. You know, there's there's this big debate going on now whether Justin Fields should play Sunday. If he doesn't play Sunday or Saturday because of injuries to the offensive line, I'd love to see Tyson in there starting the game. Uh, with with quality guys that are number twos that are going to be backups to our starters and, and maybe even give some reps to DJ Moore and so forth and see what he can do. That way you get a really good evaluation whether you're going to keep him on the 53 as either the third quarterback or the second quarterback. Um, why not have a, a further look at him? Uh, it now- kind of reminds me of Caleb Haney. Haney did well in the championship game, and the Bears were like, all right, well, we'll, we'll make him Jay's backup. Mm-hmm. In 2011, and then he got in there, and we're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> well, the whole 2011 seven and three thing went straight down the toilet because he was the backup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had a moment in the championship game against starters, and he just wasn't capable. So, hopefully, that's not the same with this young man. But uh, you just, you just never know. I, I don't know. Do you know his story about his dad being an arm wrestling champion? I did not. That makes me think of that Stallone movie, Over the Top, though. <laughs> That's right. He's he is like the number one for his weight class and and a left-handed arm wrestling champion. He's number one ranked in the world, uh, and he's a tough son of a bitch. And he's raised his son to have a tough as ass mentality. I mean, when the kid was six, seven years old, he was already telling him, "You're going to be a quarterback in the National Football League." So he's definitely groomed this guy to be a, 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 a very uh, dedicated athlete, uh, great work ethic, leadership skills. Uh, and so it's a fascinating, fascinating story. I actually put up the NFL Network did a feature on him before the draft, and I put up a, like a two-minute clip of, of that. He's, he's really a, a guy that anyone that would see him being interviewed and see his life story – you got to root for the guy, and uh, I'm rooting for the guy. And, if hey, if he ends up being the number one quarterback for the Chicago Bears, he ends up playing better than Justin Fields, I applause, applause, applause. I'd hate to see that happen to my guy, JF1, but 
if Tyson is better than him, let let's do it, man. Let's have that competition. Hey, look if at that, that would happen. He would be the next Tom Waddle. I mean, I know it's a different position, but Waddle went, you know, from undrafted, unheralded guy that gets cut to it like a cult hero in the early '90s, and obviously that carried over, and he's great on radio now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that I got to jump in here about my guy. Okay. Do you, do you mind if I do a little? No, go ahead. My my tribute to to uh, Tyson Bajant. Go for it. There's a Bears rookie QB who's played good. He's run the offense like a veteran would. He was a stranger to draft nerds. Played 2,000 snaps at Shepard. Odds are he won't make it through waivers. Secret Bajant Man. Secret Bajant Man. They're giving you a number. The Chris Gardaki War. The rookie, that's the feeling. Oh, be careful of PJ if Justin just can't play. Odds are Peter Lynn won't say it tomorrow. Secret agent man, secret agent man. They're giving you a number, the Chris Gardaki will. <laughs> well uh dan what do you think you want to comment on that <laughs> uh, obviously it was a playoff of secret agent man oh Speaking really agent, man, <laughs> uh, how about um <laughs> how about our friend jeff perlman i just sent him a note um he might have uh dissed us i don't know what's going on he sent me a, a he sent me a private you know in the he said, hello, Dan, uh, to mm-hmm. me in, like, private Twitter message. Mm-hmm. And I said, hello, sir, but that was it. So uh, There he is, speaking of the devil. There he is. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Was, he, there was no way he was going to no-show us because we've talked to him before. Why would he? Because uh, <laughs> he remembers That might it. be a reason to no-show you, but I'm back. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're so sorry about that. No problem. No problem at all. Uh, we really, really, really love the fact that you're here. Um Dan and I, and I know Santucci, who is backstage directing the show, he, we are huge, huge fans of Winning Time. And, and we've read, uh, some of us have read most or all of your books. We're just huge fans of you, period. Um, and, but this show, which HBO is uh, under new management, is probably going to be 
counting their the beans and, and, and making some tough decisions ahead. So wanted to get you on to talk a little bit about why this show should be preserved for the next 10 years of television making and uh, just your thoughts overall. I love the show. I do. Not just because it's a, on, based on a book I wrote, but because um, I feel like there's so many movies and TV shows that tackle sports and do it in a very unrealistic way or do it in a really stupid way or whatever, you know, uh, the sports scenes stink, they skimp on, you know, whatever. And and I just, I love this show. I really do. I love the fact there's something I, I was talking about earlier today with someone, which is, which, which was a nice drive, but I, uh, I what is that. going on here? What is going on? What, why did that happen? Anyway, this I'm sorry. Must have had two solid quarters. Where's yeah, this coming from? Drive. I mean, but he was interesting. Nothing goes right for the bears. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I have no idea where this is coming from. Is that the ghost of Bob Avellini? <laughs> Your next book? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm sorry, Jeff. Please go. It's all right. No, I just I um I feel like one thing that goes underspoken that I love about this show is um if you look at the way Hollywood or Hollywood operates, far too often they take black actors, especially men, and they give them. They make them drug dealers and they make them pimps and they make them druggies and they make them stupid jocks and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like one thing I love about this show is it's given the opportunity to a lot of young, hungry, talented African-American actors and actresses to play real roles in a real show, in an HBO show with a high viewership. It's given them a chance to, to be complex characters, not just one-dimensional nonsense BS. I mean, The Blind Side was recently in the news for the controversy about The Blind Side. I think about The Blind Side. They took a real story, they screwed it up, they made the one black kid, uh, you know, not just dirt poor, but dumb and in need of savior from a white woman and the whole thing. And I hate that shit. I just hate that stuff. And I feel like this show, sorry to curse, and I feel like this show oh. does the exact opposite. And I think there's some real value in that and real importance in that. And so I love this show. I love everything about it. And, uh, you know, it's been a joy for me. Go ahead, Dan. How many episodes are, are in season two? Because we're down three already. And I was looking online last week after episode two, and it was saying there were only seven. Is that correct? Seven. seven. Well, it feels like we're going to... like Okay, so we just finished 81, all right? So they're going to win the championship again in 82, and I can't wait to... the the. I think the show's doing a tremendous job building the friction between the team and Paul Westhead, mm-hmm. which I really didn't know the story of why he was fired so quickly. I knew Magic was somewhat to blame for it, but I'm not a Lakers fan, so I just kind of had that tucked in the back of my head. So I, I'm really anticipating that story. And but then you got Worthy coming in. They they lose to Moses. Like, is, are are any of these really covered before we lead up to '84? I mean, they they definitely skim over some stuff because they had fewer episodes this season. I'm not gonna lie, they do a lot. You know, the thing about TV, it's funny. I was just on a different podcast, and they were like, um, "Do you feel like stuff is left out from your book?" And I'm like, "Yeah, but a book is a 500 page." Yeah, book is 500 pages. And the one thing a book allows an author to do is go into detail, into granular detail. TV doesn't allow that. So you kind of have to make your choices, especially with an ensemble cast like this. We have so many characters. So there, there's a lot of Bird magic, the development of that rivalry. You saw in episode three, the real development of Bird and sort of his... Uh, to me, I mean, one of the great, great moments in the show is Larry Bird showing up at Indiana State, playing in his jeans and work boots in a practice. Like I, I could watch that scene a hundred times, which I probably have already. So they really focus a lot on bird magic. Um, 
a lot on the friction between Paul Westhead, Pat Riley, Magic. The rise of Pat Riley is really well done here. Um, and then some things they, they don't do as much because you can only do so much in, in a limited amount of time. It just is what it is, TV. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get Worthy soon, though, right? I mean, he's going to be yeah, represented? He will be represented. Um, I would say not quite as much as he is in the book. Um, but, you know, again, like, you, you have to pick your poison. <clears throat> Sometimes, you, you know, I have a season three, knock on wood, a lot of, yeah. a lot of Worthy. You, you're always you you've been praising the actors because like I didn't know the full context you were saying because of the strike they can't promote the show. Yeah. And you were putting over the actors and like you were saying it's not just because I wrote the book it's because I like the show and it has so much to offer and I just want to say the actor I don't know his name and I apologize for that but my favorite actor on the show is the guy that plays Kareem. I think wow. he's tremendous. He's Dr. Awesome. Solomon Hughes, former center at Cal, like the starting center at Cal back in the day. Solomon's amazing. And like, I always say, like, if you want to go like all time great casting jobs, Magic Kareem, if you think about how familiar we are with Magic and Kareem and we know them so well and you think how who could possibly play Magic Johnson? Like, how can you who could possibly play Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? And somehow they nailed those two. And neither guy, Quincy Isaiah plays Magic. He was a, a offensive lineman at Kalamazoo College, wasn't even a basketball player in college. And Solomon Hughes, who's now like 42 years old, college professor, PhD, played basketball cow, also no college, no professional acting credits before this. They just nailed it. And the other one is Bird. Like Sean Patrick Small was the second choice to play Bird. Bo Burnham was the comedian, took the job, then walked away from it. And I feel like that was a blessing because Sean is phenomenal as Larry Bird. Right? So they just cast this thing. And it's funny because – um. When my wife and I first were watching season one, when, like early on during the edits, we were getting the edits. And I saw Adrian Brody, just as an example. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I I don't know about that one. Like, I don't think I see Pat Riley and Adrian Brody. And then we watched the full episode. And by the end, we were both like, oh, I get it. And now when I see Adrian Brody, I see Pat Riley. It's just, yeah. they really, they spare no expense here on this one. Yeah. And the kid that plays Norm Nixon is oh. the actual son of Norm Nixon. I got a 40-second clip here to share with everybody. It gives you a good taste of the tenor of this great, great show. How do I feel about Magic Johnson coming back? Hmm. Young Buck. Me? Best record in the league since he's been gone. I'm just here to support Paul. Do I think he'll impact team chemistry? Do I look fucking nervous? It's basketball, motherfucker. It ain't rocket science. Can't wait. Chemistry, my fucking ass. <laughs> Young Buck. You bet he's going to impact chemistry. I mean, in a good way. Ask the guys there. Thrilled. what I say? I say the magic back, baby. That is so well done. Great. That's an acting right there. Every one of those actors was just doing a standout performance in that little vignette. Super stuff, man. Yeah. Um, Devon, who plays, obviously, Norm's son, is, I mean, is Norm's son, who plays Norm Nixon. He also was the, he was Whitney Houston's son in The Bodyguard. Like, he was a child actor. Oh, so wow. he was Spencer in The Bodyguard. And he was in a couple of other things. And he's, um. He's a phenomenal. I'm not just saying this; like he's a great actor. Like he's not just an actor. That guy can. He's also in Snowfall. 
uh, right now. So he's in a lot of stuff. He's really good. excellent. Now the, the show has gotten a lot of heat for the portrayal of Jerry West and that the, the show has sort of made uh, West seem to be very mercurial, uh, always on edge. Uh, and uh, in fact, Jerry West himself was not pleased with it. How do you see that whole uh, debate regarding the, how Mr. West is portrayed? Um, I always say to the people on the show, like, um, like a lot of writers on the show don't really have that much experience in sports media and dealing with athletes. Like that's been my life. It hasn't been their life. And I think a lot of them were really taken aback. And I kind of said to them, I'm like, look, you, you got to understand where he's coming from. Like he's not involved with the show. He doesn't make a cent off of it. There's like an actor who looks like him playing him with under the name Jerry West as a GM of the Lakers. Like he's allowed to be annoyed by that. And he's allowed to be pissed off. But I also think, like, I, the number one thing I get on Twitter negative is, oh, you guys did Jerry West dirty. And I always say, read Jerry West's autobiography, uh, West by West. Like, it's a great book, but it speaks, he speaks about his manic nature and his inability to watch a team and breaking a golf club in frustration. Like, that's from him. So I actually think it's a really good portrayal. I also think Jason Clark is one of the stars of that show. I just think he's phenomenal as Jerry West. I laugh half the time he's on there. So, um, I just don't I don't agree. I just don't agree. Can I ask you about one thing in the I, I'm gonna not necessarily recall the specifics, but the gist of it, because season one was a what two years ago, a year ago. It's been a bit oh, last year. Last year. Okay. Last year. Well it, the, some time has passed, so I didn't retain it all perfectly. <laughs> but at the end, when Magic wins the title in eighty in game six in Philly, when Kareem's out. Yeah. The way the story went, and I didn't know this, so I was just going to ask you, was it a dramatization or was it accurate with the thing with the MVP between he and Kareem? It, yeah. Can you shed some light on that? Because I don't know the answer to it. Yeah, it might have been a little, might have been a little dramatized for TV. Okay. <laughs> might have been a lot dramatized for TV. <laughs> might have just, might have just been dramatized for TV. Yeah. yeah. And Dan, Dan and I have had this discussion before that I feel like the filmmakers have no responsibility at all to make this a factually based show. Their responsibility is to put together the most entertaining 60 minute episode or so uh, for uh, for what they're covering here. They're using your book, which is factually based. Everything in there has been, you know, researched thoroughly by you and, and I'm sure content experts have poured over it to make sure that there aren't any issues. And it's the producer's TV, the TV producer's job now to take that material and make it interesting for that medium of television. Uh, I, I'm betting you feel the same way. Uh, kind of, sort of, maybe. I, okay. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, it's really interesting. I've said this before, talking about the show, like, Historically, I'm a terrible audience for sports content, uh, TV and and, uh, and movies. Like Moneyball is a good example. Like I was a baseball writer at Sports Illustrated when the A's were on the roll. I did a lot of A's that season. Moneyball makes it seem like Scott Hatterberg, you know, led the A's to the championship. And there's really no mention of Mark Mulder, Barry Zito, Tim Hudson, mm -hmm. uh, Eric Chavez, Miguel Tejada. Like, and I feel mixed about that. I think but I still love the movie. I think you have to have a guide. The guide has to be based in realism and in fact. So like, you can't just have the Lakers, you can't have Magic Johnson traded to Denver just because it would add drama. Like it has to, has to be some 
there has to be a base level of truth there. And then I think you can smush around stuff a little. Like an example is um, season one, episode one, there was a white party that Magic and Norm Nixon went to, and they played one-on-one in a basketball court, and Norm Nixon kind of handed it to him. Now, that never happened, right? And I was kind of irked by that. And then I just started thinking about it and what they're trying to do. And what they're really trying to do is set up this relationship between Norm and Magic and set the stage for it. So I guess that's okay. Am I 100% comfortable with it as a journalist? I don't think I ever will be, but I realize it's a different medium than writing a book. Yeah. I think I, the I, only thing I, that I've re- go ahead, I'll do my best. No, I was just going to say, I, I agree with you. It, it does feel like you're cheating the audience a bit. But the intent is to capture the spirit of the relationship and perhaps theatrically or dramatically, the best way to do that was to have that fabulous scene. It was a great scene with Nixon and Magic going at it at that party. Go ahead, Dan, please. The only thing that I've complained about, and I love the show, so I'm not coming at like, oh, Jeff Perlman, this is your fault. I'm not, we're just like three guys talking right now. Pretend your book is not even connected to it. I'm not, there's no malice here. The only thing I've complained about is like with if the score of the game, you know, like the score of the game has to be right. Or like if you're saying that Magic and Bird's first matchup was at the forum or it was in Boston, but it was actually at the forum, that kind of thing bothers me. You know, like mm-hmm. if the the accuracy and I don't know, you could correct me on this because the 81 Rockets ultimately would go to the finals, lose the Celtics. But did it end in a Magic Air Ball or is that another yes. dramatization? Oh, no, it, it did. did. OK. Yeah. Um, and also, I will tell you, number one, I don't disagree with you. And I feel like for season two, they were really more attuned to those criticisms because season two, I'm not just saying this, I swear, they were super hyper vigilant about getting those things right, like adhering to the nitty gritty much more than they did in season one. I thought they did a good job in season one. I thought they did a pretty extraordinary job, as you'll see in season two, because um, I think a lot of people said that. And again, as a sports guy, as a journalist, I feel that I I can't argue with you, Dan. Mm-hmm. But I do love the show, and and maybe could I ask you? It's cut and dry in some aspect. Well, there's a strike, well, but is there? I mean, not that I'm trying to get you to solve a labor crisis here, but is there any foreseeable? Does HBO, for example, is there any way of quantifying what, or at least a projection of what they're looking for right now to try to continue the show, given that the actors can't promote it and know what? Like I saw you. So many people have told you. And because I've retweeted you numerous times about like, hey, the show's on. It's so, somebody will say, I didn't even know season two had begun yet. Yeah. Is it because it's summer? I don't know. It's like HBO sent me an email saying it was about to start. And I was excited about it. So what I'm trying to say is how how do we save the show? Is what I'm watch saying. It. What are they looking for? Views. Watch it. So they can say, I mean, serious, like every week they look over how many people watch a show first thing. To look over how many watched it on Sunday, which is less and less of an important figure than it used to be because people just don't do appointment viewing anymore, except for sporting events, you know. Um, And then the streaming numbers, which really matter. And then it all adds up. And then they'll say, well, how does this compare to last year? And what are we looking at? And I don't know. I don't know what the figure is HBO is looking for. I don't know what they're thinking inside their offices. I do know that there's a like someone told me recently that um, I mentioned this before someone like. There's a movie that's supposed to come out later this year starring Zendaya. And whatever studio is with, they pushed it back to 2024 because Zendaya probably has 100 million Instagram followers and she can't promote it on Instagram. She's not allowed to promote it. So you're losing one of the best marketing tools in the world, your star direct marketing it to her fans. And this show has a lot of big stars in it. 
and none of them can promote it to their fans. You can't have John C. Riley or Adrian Brody or any of these guys out there promoting it. And that definitely has an impact on the visibility of the show. Um, so that's a problem. Also, I've heard people complain about the HBO Max app that it's not really wasn't making. I think it is now fixed that it wasn't making the show available. And I feel like that's fixed. And uh, it's a great show, man. It's a great show. It is. And I'm telling you, really, if you met the actors involved, I'm not even talking about the older guys. I'm talking about the young men and women in, involved in the show. They're just the best. They're just like they're such good people and true professionals and just want to make a career out of this and watch it. Supporting the show is supporting their careers. The you woman who heard earlier, I think showing giving him more context was good for the show as well, as opposed to you almost view him as the adversarial character to magic. But now you can not that most people are watching it. They're going to root for the Celtics, perhaps, but still you can see his story, too. And it gives him more uh, color, if you will, in terms of we we, we can choose sides now. We, we, he's not just the bad guy. hundred percent. And um it's funny. I've been talking about this. His, his The actor's name is Sean Patrick Small. It's his first big role. He still has a full-time job, actually. He kept a full-time job. He's 31. He has a baby. Just had a baby. And he lives about an hour north of me in California. And a few weeks ago, he came down and he played in my pickup game. And um, he's younger than me by 20 years. He's a really good player. Played high school ball. But his um, from working on the show, from training for the show, his shot has been completely altered where he now shoots exactly like Larry Bird playing pickup basketball like he now he shoots like bird he just practiced and practiced and practiced as larry bird to the point where he became larry bird so it's kind of weird playing basketball with larry bird who was shooting like larry bird was he good very good very good and a little bit of a trash talker too so it worked (laughs) what uh, can you tell us about hadley robinson who plays genie bus and i think she's absolutely phenomenal as well she's great so she's like Again, like she was in Little Women. She was in some some films, but um, she's like from New Hampshire. Early on, a friend of mine, a former writer at Sports Illustrated named Alex Wolf, who was a really great writer when I was there, he either emailed me or called me and said, hey, my my friend's daughter is in this show. Is that your show? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, her name's Hadley. And I'm like, who the hell is Hadley? And it's like, wow, Hadley's actually awesome. Like she's a great actress. And I think I really like the growth of Jeannie Buss in the show and how you – you know, because we all we're watching it from the prism of 2023, seeing what Jeannie Bus actually became. And it's kind of like a superhero origin story where you're seeing young Clark Kent or young Bruce Wayne. And this is young Jeannie Bus just fighting for her sort of place. I think Hadley's awesome. She's perfect. Do you yeah. think that the ultimate goal, because uh, if I recall correctly, the the opening show, which, again, I haven't seen in, in a year plus, it started with magic at the diagnosis of his medical problems. So is the ultimate goal in a perfect world to make it to, say, Jordan beating him in 91 and then that the HIV press conference, is that the ultimate end if if it's allowed to continue? I mean, it's interesting because um, HBO bought the rights to my follow-up book, which is about the Shaq Kobe Lakers, with the you know hypothetical idea that you could take this series and then jump to Shaq Kobe. So, I mean, you know, that'd be that's my ultimate, like, ridiculous dream but i think that's what they were thinking so i don't know i don't know actually how how you know because they haven't written more seasons so i don't know what they're thinking about ending with magic but i would love i mean it's you know long shot i would love a shaq kobe continuation i would love to see i know aldo disagrees with me but i'm a big fan of isaiah so i would love to see some 80 88 89 pistons lakers in there too 
I used to hate Isaiah when I was a fan. I was a New, <laughs> yes. I was a New Jersey Nets fan growing up, and uh, Isaiah was just like him and Lambeer and Mahorn. Oh, God, I hated those guys. Awful people. <laughs> uh, I and I, I hope that this this winning time series lasts for years, and I I I, I pray that when the series covers when Magic contacted HIV, because that would have to be one of the most dramatic sequences in any TV show ever. Because I remember the press conference, mm -hmm. you know, I, I read so much about uh, uh, Magic's wife and the impact that it had on her and the relationship they had and, you know, how he had to tell her what was going on. I mean, that I, I, I I know I'll be crying when I watch that scene. I'm almost crying now just thinking of it. Boy, I really do hope. So do they contact you and, and ask for your help on how to lay out the seven-part, eight-part, ten-part season? No, they have writers who are writer room writers. My my main job has been um, – I mean, I've been heavily involved this season, which has been kind of a joy and a treat, and they didn't have to do it. Like a lot of, a lot of times an author's you know book is bought, and they send him some money and maybe they invite him to set once and that's it. And it's been the exact opposite. Um, I go over every script. Uh, they ask my opinion on fact checking at all. Does this work? Does that work? They let me have input this year on, on casting. So I saw the the demo reels for, you know, Rambus and Worthy and Byron Scott and those guys. And they seem to actually value my input. So it's been, I mean, I play a reporter in episode six this year. Um, my first real acting and probably but last acting job. So that was cool. <laughs> you got a line? I have three lines. All right. Lines. <laughs> it was one of the um it was one of the longest days of my life. I was super excited to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm in a scene with uh John C. Riley, which is cool, and Adrian Adrian Brody. It's really cool. And I was super excited and I got there very early in the morning on the Warner lot. And you get there and they have all this food, craft services, and you're like, holy crap, this food is all free. This is amazing. Sports writer's dream, free food. I'm eating my free food, and they put me in my wardrobe, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm dressed like an 80s reporter, and they gave me a wig um, and with sideburns. I literally have the sideburns hanging on my wall behind me and um, framed. And I walk out there to do the scene. It's a press conference scene, and they shot that fucking thing 104 times. Wow. 104 times. It was at first I had my lines written on my hand, not joking. I literally wrote them on my hand. And by the end, I just wanted to leave. I was so tired. It was so boring and it's cool, but boring. And the craziest worst part is the next day I woke up and my head was enormous. I had an allergic reaction to the wig glue and I had to go to urgent care because oh, no. my head was swelling. So Please. Be careful, kids, because you may, you may, may be damned to get you what you wish for. You know. Did you try to base your 80s reporter on someone specific? Me thinking of how I behave as a reporter? I mean, they gave me lines, but I like little things like um, when I used to cover sport for Sports Illustrated, and still, I always keep a pen behind my ear, right? So I always have a pen behind my ear. I always actually do have crap written on my hand. I have a notepad. I have stuff written in the notepad. I'm taking notes, but looking up. So I did do what I do, um, but I, it doesn't really shine through. It's just me being crappy but they do call me jeff he actually if you watch it episode six oh, yeah. it says jeff and that's me so did you have to join the union the union that, okay did not which is good because if i did join the union i wouldn't be able to promote the show <laughs> exactly that's what i was gonna say yeah, you could get a sag card now right since you had a line maybe but it actually costs a lot of money and i'm not sure the benefits of it so i mean i don't want to be an actor i have no interest in being 
yeah i uh i was a member of after for and yeah it's not worth it but right. uh I'm, I've got I'm one pro, more question. I'm union, but not worth yeah, it. I am too. Wait, I do want to say this is important. I've checked with everyone as far as promoting the show. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten not just the blessing, but the encouragement. Like, I would not be doing this if either the writers or the actors are like, that's crossing, that's violating. Like, somebody needs to speak for the show. And that I've kind of been one of the guys who's been allowed to do it. So mm-hmm. I'm very pro-union. I think the actors need to be supported. I think it's ridiculous how the studios are treating them. Uh, so I'm 100% behind them. 100%. Yep. So I've got I got actually two more things for you. If you got okay. one, it was based upon something you said earlier that I would love for you to say again. But um, first off, on the accuracy thing, again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I don't know the answer. This is not rhetorical. Okay. The the stuff with the game one victory in '84 and then the bus and the the fans that type was that dramatization or did that really happen? Okay, good question. Everything with the bus was a hundred percent on. And it's almost exactly how it's described. Wow. The only difference is, I think it happened after game four, not after game one. So they made oh. it for dramatic effect to start the thing. But the bus was attacked, it is as it is. Wow. I think they just might have. I think. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's a good and scene. Very good scene. I, uh, Aldo and I both uh, take a little bit of heat on here from some people because you could say we're aligned to the left. So your I'm, video I love earlier. Trump. You know I love Trump. Yeah, your video earlier is what I was hoping you could tell us about. And you're wearing the same shirt. So that was today, the Tampa shirt. So, yeah. Um, Man, I'm happy to. All right. So I'm from New York, right? I am from New York. And actually, I'm just going to say it. I'm from New York. And 9 11, oh, you're giving me the big screen. And 9 11 for me was very personal. Um, We lived not far away. We lived in Union Square. So for weeks and weeks after, this is not exaggeration. You would smell the rubble. I still vividly remember all over signs, posts everywhere are the photos looking for, you know, missing. Have you seen everywhere all over? And the city was just in the stupor. And I lived near Union Square Park where people would gather every night and just pray or sing or whatever you could do. It's like, what do you do? And uh, a good friend of mine lost his son in 9-11. Uh, Tyler Ugolin was his name. He was a basketball player at Columbia. Um, and the thing that always gets me, and I just don't understand why people overlook this, is in the aftermath of 9-11, um, number one, Donald Trump lied and said he saw the second plane hit from the window of Trump Tower, which would be actually physically impossible. Like you can't, if you know New York City and you know where Trump Tower is, he wouldn't have been able to see that. It's impossible. Number two, he said that he sent 100 of his men to Ground Zero to help with the recovery. There's literally zero record of that. And there are very meticulous records kept on who came in to help. You couldn't just send 100 guys down. Like, he, that is a lie. Number three, he said that he went down to help with the recovery effort. He said this repeatedly. There's zero record of Donald Trump helping with the recovery. There's a, a video of him doing an interview blocks away, but he never helped with the recovery. That's just a lie. There's zero record of it. And number four, he said in the aftermath that he donated $10,000 to the 9-11 fund. And the 9-11 fund has literally zero record of Donald Trump making a donation. And I just, I've said this for years now. You cannot be a decent human being and just lie and lie and lie about 9-11, which happened in your home city, by the way, to make yourself the hero of that saga and to lie about that. It just, to me, it speaks volumes about the lack of character of that creation of a human being. 
Well, uh, you get no argument from Dan or myself. I'm sure a, a number of people in the chat will disagree with you, but the, there's nothing. Move on. Hey, I just want to say, Otto, there's nothing even to disagree with. Everything I said right there is a hundred percent fact, and you can look yeah. it up. So there's nothing. Anyone in your chat room who's like, eh, like, you can say what you want about Trump, about Biden. There's nothing I said there that is incorrect or inaccurate. So. Exactly. Also, um, Jeff has a great book about how Trump fucked up the USFL. So if you want to watch Trump, go, go right and read that book, too. Yeah. I love that book. Um, by the way, speaking of books, your latest book is about Bo Jackson. I have it here. I have not started it yet. Tell us a little bit about what it is. What am I in store uh, for when I start reading that later this fall? I mean, greatest athlete of all time, I would argue. And I'm talking Jim Thorpe, Deion Sanders, LeBron, Michael Phelps, whoever you want to throw in there. And this is, I mean, my quick elevator pitch sell on uh, on Bo Jackson is when he was in high school, he um, his senior year, he set the national record for home runs in a season with 20, right? He missed seven games to run track and field, still set the single season national home run record. He won back-to-back -back junior and senior year, Alabama State Decathlon Championships, both times without competing in the last event, the 1500, because he hated distance running. The second time he won the state decathlon championships, he did it in his sweatpants, the entire thing in his sweatpants, just because he was Bo Jackson. In his high school career, he stole 90 out of 91 bases, 90 out of 91. I tracked down the catcher who threw him out the one time. His name was Sam Doss. And he said his Bo Jackson's next at bat, he hit a home run, crossed home plate and winked at him. <laughs> at Auburn, he ran a 4-1-3-40, a 4-1-3 at about 215 pounds. He signed with the Raiders in 1987, right? He hadn't played football in a while. Tom Flores was a coach of the Raiders. He has Bo Jackson run a 40 in pads on grass. He runs a 417, a uh, 419. Tom Flores doesn't believe him, has the guy measure it off again, and he runs a 417. He's simply <laughs> the greatest athlete. One more thing I'll tell you real quick. His first game ever in the major leagues, his debut, 1986, September call-up, plays for the Kansas City Royals. His first hit as a major leaguer, first of all, it was against Steve Carlton, Hall of Famer. He beat out a ground ball to second base. And when they clocked it, all the scouts behind home plate, they all had him at 3.16 seconds, which was the second fastest time ever in his first at-bat, second fastest time in major league history for a guy running home the first by a right-handed hitter. The only one ever clocked faster was Mickey Mantle. And after the game, when Bo Jackson was asked what it meant to him to get his first hit off Steve Carlton, he said, who is that? And they're like, that's the pitcher. He had no idea. He had never heard of Steve <laughs> I love hey, it. You, Go ahead, Dan. He's got a Tampa shirt on, so I wanted to ask, what was the gist of Bo not wanting to go to Tampa? Was it because that they had struggled? Or, oh. I mean, because you imagine they got Steve Young in this, what's the supplemental in 86. So if you have Steve Young and Bo Jackson, I mean, maybe the Orange Sickle Buccaneers are, are winning some Super Bowls. First of all, I just want to say I'm not a, a Buccaneers fan. I just always thought the throwback Bruce the Bucko was kind of cool, and I loved yeah. Ricky Bell, the USC running back who went to Tampa Bay as a kid. Sure, the uh, the two a seconds terrible death. Play. But hey, Ricky Bell was great, man. Bo Jackson, I mean, it was just, he had a terrible death. He died in like '83 oh. or '4. Is what I'm saying. It was yeah. horrible. Like if you read his condition, but go ahead. If you Sorry. Google my name and Ricky Bell, I wrote a long story about his death for SB Nation years ago. It's horrible, truly yeah. horrible. Um, okay, true story. Bo Jackson is a senior at Auburn, and he's playing baseball. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers convince him or his, quote, representative agent that it's okay for him to fly to Tampa Bay for the day to take a physical uh, ahead of the NFL draft. They fly him in on his private jet. Uh, Hugh Culverhouse was the owner of the box. 
He flies Bo Jackson to Tampa Bay. The Auburn baseball team has a game that night against Alabama-Birmingham. The head coach at Auburn was Hal Baird. Bo Jackson isn't back during batting practice. Hal Baird says to someone, where's Bo? And the, the player says, oh, he flew to Tampa Bay to get a physical. And Hal Baird says, he did what? He's like, he flew to Tampa Bay on the Buccaneers jet to get a physical. He'll be back. So ultimately, that um, caused Bo to be ineligible for the rest of the year in baseball, right? And the best long thing of this is, he, um, so he can't play baseball anymore. He's done. And Bo swears off the Buccaneers and says, don't draft me. Well, the NFL draft comes. The Buccaneers are idiots. You call Rouse, the owner, was a moron. He picks Bo Jackson, number one. And Bo's agents a few weeks later say, you should fly to Tampa Bay and just meet with him, just talk with him. They want to wine and dine you, just go. So you Culverhouse says to Steve Young, Steve Young was a quarterback of the 49ers, of the Buccaneers at the time. Culverhouse says, would you be willing to go out to dinner with Bo when he's here so we can talk and maybe try to woo him? And Steve's like, all right, Steve Young told me this story. They go out to dinner and you Culverhouse does the old, I'm going to leave you guys alone so you can talk. And he gets up. And Bo Jackson turns to Steve Young and says, Steve, just so you know, there's no fucking way I ever sign here. Oh, geez. Okay. You know, and in the pre preface to the book, you've shared this great story of uh, uh, going through the airport and being stopped because you've got a brick in your briefcase. Can you share that story real quickly with us? Yeah, wait, I have the brick. Oh, look at this. Oh, man. Hey, I don't know. Someone stole my brick, I think, but I had the brick. Oh, no. Before. Why would anyone take the Bo Jackson brick? I don't know, but it was here somewhere. Um, I wish I had it. I was in Bessemer, Alabama. At, I was in, a, wow, it's weird that my brick is gone, but maybe good. Um, Bo Jackson lived in Bessemer, Alabama. He grew up in Bessemer, Alabama. And um, the house where he was a baby and a young boy um, is torn down. It's gone. It's just an empty field. But the foundation is there. And, and it's not like a historical landmark. It's literally a torn down house in a field with a bunch of you know, broken glass. And I was like, I'm going to take a brick. I'm going to take a brick from the foundation of Bo Jackson's house. And I kind of dig it out. And I take it. I put it in my suitcase. And I go to Atlanta airport when I'm flying home. And um, I put it in my carry-on. And the uh, the guy at TSA says, uh, sir, what is in your bag? The, the rectangular object. I'm like, it's a brick. He's like, sir, you can't fly with a brick. And I'm like, well, it's a brick from Bo Jackson's house. Do you know who Bo Jackson is? Oh, I know who Bo Jackson is. Yeah, I'm writing a book. He's like, Marge, Marge, come over, whatever her name was. Marge comes over. This man wants to fly with a brick, but it's Bo Jackson's brick. Well, I'm writing a book on Bo, blah, blah, blah. And this whole back and forth. And finally she goes, eh, fly with the brick. And now the brick is <laughs> I love it. I love it. The uh, name of the book is The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. And then now you're working on a new one on Tupac. Uh, I am. Your, your first, is this your first book outside the sports world? It is. Very hard. Very challenging. But cool. Yeah. What, when can we expect that to hit the bookshelves? Sometime in 2025. I don't know exactly when yet. Okay. It's a long process. These things take forever. I bet. I bet. Do you have any thoughts on... After I know you, you're working, you're immersing yourself in the, the Tupac book. But what do you have any ideas of what you could possibly look at sports wise next? I'm thinking maybe the Rex Grossman biography. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> that good? Well, Zach has a story idea. Uh, will Jeff write the story of an undrafted free agent division two quarterback who goes takes the Chicago Bears to win the Super Bowl? Of course, that is Tyson Bajent, whose dad is an arm wrestling champion and played in an exhibition game for the Bears this past Saturday and looked like the second coming of Christ. <laughs> wow. Sure. I'm in. No, I don't know yet. I honestly don't know. I got to get through Tupac and not lose my mind. 
So I don't uh, well, good luck with that, and good luck. And if you ever need any assistance at all from any one of us here at the Barroom Network, you can count on us. We are huge, huge fans of your work, your sto- storytelling you. prowess, uh, your books. I, I, I want to make sure I, I, I have in my library every Jeff Perlman book. And although I'm not a big Tupac fan, I'm definitely going to purchase a couple of copies of that, of that book because uh, I got friends who are huge Tupac fans. That's a that's a great choice for you. To it's nice out. of you to say this, considering ten years ago when I wrote my Walter Payton book, your city wanted to kill me before they. Were that's where I was about to say. I was waiting to say, as Bear fans, we can say we're legitimate Jeff Perlman fans because we like the Walter book. Yeah, the Walter book it. was not an anti-Bear or anti-Walter book. People just jumped to the gun very quickly yeah. on that thing. That was my. That might be the lowest moment of my career is people really? being like, oh, people being like this guy and blah. And I'm like, read the book, read yeah. the book, read the book, read the book. And then I literally would have people call me or email me or whatever back in the day. I think Emery Moorhead, actually, the former bear tight end was like, oh, I read the book. You're kind of right. You know, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was rough. That was a rough few weeks. I mean, the anecdotes in it that are really powerful. I remember, like you saying that. Mike Singletary looked at him and was like, man, you're a married man. How are you having all this sex? And like, and that Walter carried a grudge against Mike for like, for that con. I mean, stuff like that we would never have known. I mean, and we're not trying to besmirch Walter. We all love Walter, but that context is is extremely interesting. And also like, I just think like, at least as a writer, I think our imperfections kind of make us, you know, like who we are. I don't want to just know that my favorite baseball player or singer or whatever never went to the bathroom and only ate healthy and lived a perfect life. Like the imperfections and knowing that people have flaws and have struggles, it doesn't take away from Walter Payton's greatness. In a way Mm -hmm. it adds to it. Like he went through all this, he had his highs, he had his lows, but he still freaking did some amazing things. So that's how I, I look at these things. Indeed, it's a great book, and I urge every Chicago Bear fan to have it in their library. Jeff, we'll let you go. Uh, we'll hope, uh, hopefully, we'll talk down the line when uh, you're accepting an Emmy or any kind of award that might be associated with Winning Time. A great, great HBO series. Urge everybody to check Thanks. it out. Take Thank care, you bro. so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Right, Be well, bye. sir. Thank All you. Right, that was a ton of fun. Would you not say, there, Mr. Dan Aguirre? I think so. I, I I didn't know the the Bo Jackson story with Steve Young. That's again a good anecdote. I love it. Yeah, very good anecdote. And uh, and you're right about that Donald Trump USFL book. That's a, that's a doozy. That one should be a movie too. I mean, yeah, he basically just sabotaged the whole league. He kind of wanted to force an AFL NFL kind of merger at the USFL. He was at war with them. He couldn't get an NFL uh, franchise. But then when they couldn't get a merger and stuff, at least the way I retained it, I mean, he was willing just to throw the whole league away and fuck everybody just out of his own, you know, vindictiveness. And it kind of says a lot about him, in my opinion. Truly does. Uh, Tooch, are you uh, ready to join us? Give me a nod. Oh, he's ready. Let me put the right background up. Now, is he going to Bear State of Affairs uh, now, or could I say something maybe to lead into it? Uh, go ahead, Tooch. Okay, I'd like to lead into to Tooch. Let me let me tell Tooch this. He doesn't know this. I couldn't watch the Bears game live because I was at work. So I, I'm ho- I'm sure you probably touch on that. I tried to watch it after the fact, and they gave me I the won't Colts spoil announcement. for you, Dan. No, you can. I tried to watch it. <laughs> like, I want to know more about. It. They gave me the Colts announcers. Like for example, when the Bears are on defense, yeah, they I show the, the Bears offensive too. starters. And like they're just talking like it's the Manning podcast 
and not even talking about the game. They just half-assed the whole game. So I feel like I didn't even see it. So yeah, anything yeah. you've got about the preseason game, I want to hear. Yeah, all right. And I, I, I recorded the Chicago feed, but as I was working, uh, I think it was yesterday, I, NFL Network was on. They did a replay of the game, and they cut out almost the entirety of Tyson's magic drive. It was a 17-play drive. There was only like six plays on it. I, I look up, oh, Tyson's got the ball inside the 10. He starts to drive. They go to a commercial, and all of a sudden I look up again, and the ball's in the, end, uh, in the red zone of the opposing team. I rewind to make sure I didn't miss anything, and during that commercial break, they just edited it out for time purposes, the most important drive of the entire game for either team. It's like, what's going on with the NFL? They, 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 they're so screwing anyways the stage is yours mr johnny zanducci well you expect me to roll the open <laughs> oh all right you got it <laughs> no go ahead if you oh i all see right, it no. okay okay Get that mute button unmuted. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> I got up before I roll. Does Does Dan McGuire have a Chris Gardaki jersey? <laughs> I do not, but I always thought we let we gave up on him too soon, and we didn't have to draft Todd Sauber, and we could have kept Gardaki and I saved do, yeah. our second round pick for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yep, it, totally. I can't. I, I know uh, uh, my guy. Uh, Bajant is wearing 17, but can you think of a, another 17? I forgot what it was when Sean Payton. Ah, Sean Payton, the square right. band for Sean Payton. Okay. How about Alshon Jeffrey? How about right, Anthony Alshon Miller? Miller? How about Tommy? What was his name? Was Tommy that? Barnhard, the punter that w- he was with the 87 Bears. Was that his name, Barnhard? Yes. Yeah. Barnhard. Like, yeah he played in the playoff game. Uh, and then we had Brian Wagner. But anyway, Alshon. go ahead. <laughs> Alshon was 17. I forgot that. All right. Bears State of Affairs offseason week 32. It's been eight months since we've had NFL regular season or postseason football. What's happening? Barfly as well. The Bears played their second preseason game last weekend against the Colts. And they were 24-17 losers. Yeah, we went from high versus the Titans to low versus the Colts as the team gave up a 10-point second-half lead. Tooch lost his Bears plus five bet. I was really angry about that. They lost by seven. That's a bit deflating. But, hey, that's the preseason. We were in a high. We're in a low. And this game, though, there were several young players who stood out. Guys who are making strong cases to be on that 53-man roster. Along with defensive line tackle Zach Pickens and Travis Bell are making plays. Wow, second-round pick Gervon Dexter struggles to avoid being the last guy to move when the ball is snapped. Along the offensive line, center Doug Kramer has also been making his case for a roster spot. And one guy who's really making a name for himself, talking about this guy. Yeah, the rookie. Everyone loves a rookie. Yeah, undrafted free agent Tyson Bajant from Tiny Shepherd University in Dan Aguirre's backyard. This guy, he's been calm, cool, and collected under pressure. He's run the offense like a veteran, led the Bears on a 17-play, 92-yard touchdown drive against the Colts, which the barkeeper only caught about a third of those plays. 
<laughs> culminated in a short scramble the end zone, a dive for a rushing score. And you know he had he had, he had Roshan Johnson open, but you know he's got to show the team that he could scramble for that touchdown instead of hitting, hitting uh, Roshan in the flat. And look, we all know that Chicago is a city that loves a backup quarterback. A guy would come in and rally a team or run the offense competently when necessary. From Steve Fuller to Mike Tomzak to Josh McCown, Bears fans love them some backup quarterbacks. In fact, Bajan has done well enough to where fans are really worried that he won't make it through waivers. He's done well in spots, while a big-name free agent signing P.J. Walker has struggled. And did you know that Bajan owns the record for career touchdown passes at the NCAA level? 159 touchdown passes. And in 2021, like Dan Aguirre mentioned, he won the Harlan Hill Trophy, the D2 equivalent of the Heisman. And this preseason, Bajan has 18 for 20 for 113 yards and a rushing touchdown. Let's hope Tyson gets plenty of playing time to win a roster spot this weekend against the Bills when the Bears play their final preseason game. Moving on, the one thing that Dan, Aldo, and I have feared could possibly affect this young Bears team negatively are the recent injuries along the Bears' offensive line. Going into the offseason, the three of us generally agreed that the offensive line was the most important part where a big upgrade was needed in both talent and depth. Now it looks like Tevin Jenkins will miss some significant time and is considered week-to-week. As well, first-round tackle Darnell Wright is also nursing an injury and is considered day-to-day. And veteran center Cody Whitehair has a hand injury and can't effectively snap the ball, although Bears fan Dan would like to say that he wasn't ever that good at snapping in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's been moved back to left guard. Other offensive linemen missing time recently were veteran free agent guard Nate Davis and center Lucas Patrick. All these missing veterans... It's given young offensive linemen like Doug Kramer and Jatiri Carter a chance to shine. And the injury bug has even affected tight end Cole Komet, who left practice on a cart today and did not return. One thing that could keep this young team from contending for a playoff spot is the dreaded injury bug. In other news, rumors were swirling about the possibility of Chiefs all-pro defensive tackle Chris Jones possibly coming to Chicago. Man, I don't know. Let me just shoot that down. There's no way that Andy Reid will let a mediocre Chiefs defense lose his best defensive player. As much as we would all love that, we all know it ain't happening. And let's end on a happier note. Today it was announced that 85 Bears legend Steve McMichael will be a finalist for the 2024 Pro Football Hall of Fame. McMichael played 13 seasons with the Bears from 1981 to 1993. And if y'all remember, he appeared in a franchise record 191 straight games. Iron Man. Yet the fan favorite known as Mongo ranks second in team history with 92 and a half sacks. Nick Michael helped the Bears win six division championships. And we all know it was an instrumental part of the 1985 Bears Super Bowl 20 championship defense that many consider to be the best in NFL history. And that is... Well done, Mr. Tooch. Sanducci. I've forgotten all that stuff about McMichael, man. Second in team history with 92 and a half. Mm -hmm. You know, 191 straight games. 
which at defensive playing in the trenches of defensive tackle, 191 straight games. That's like mm-hmm. Cal Ripken. Yeah. yeah and he was still producing at the end. Like his last year at yeah. the Bears was 93. He had like 10 sacks that year. It's not like he was like just hanging around and was just still yeah. on the roster. The dude was still playing, man, and balling. Yep. Yeah. He really was. Uh, let's all pray for Steve McMichael. Hopefully he is he's aware of what's going on around him. He's not in any pain and that he can experience this induction into the Hall of Fame, which is uh, clearly upon us. All right, uh, given the time issue, I want to get to the media yep. mashup. And then when uh, this is about 25 minutes long, so on the other end, Tooch, Dan, and myself, and all of you fine folks in the chat room, comment on what you have heard, what you hear from the local media. I got three sound bites from uh, WSCR 670 to score, or in three sequences, I should say, because they're not sound bites, from ESPN 1000. So we'll start uh, that. Although, row. before we go, can I just say that Jeff, Perlman was a great guest. I, I love that interview so much. I love Winning Time. And if Butterflies have not watched Winning Time, it's so good, man. There's drama. Mm-hmm. It's funny. The acting is freaking amazing. The cast is amazing. It keeps you involved in the stories. There's so many stories going on. And yeah. it's never, never boring. So I totally agree with you. And yeah. I, I, I think I truly believe it is one of the best TV yeah. series on on sports ever and may, might be the best. Yep. I'd have to look at a list and and and, and pick that order. Maybe we can totally do that agree. in the next show. Just talk about great yep. TV sports series. Let me ask but, you a quick question that'll set up the audio because okay. I'm assuming you got something about this. So mm-hmm. if White here goes back to left guard, are we looking at Lucas Patrick as the center or are we talking about Doug Kramer as the center? Like what's happening there? Do we have any insight? I think that that that's a battle that will be determined. Patrick uh, got some snaps yesterday at the center position, but today was withheld from practice. And Doug Kramer uh, played uh, in Saturday's game and looked good, according to many eyes. So that's a battle going on right there. But it does appear for sure that Cody Whitehair will be the left guard, at least for the month of September, while, while Tevin Jenkins is out. So without further ado, here comes the media mashup. And then is able to lunge in for the score. All right, he's he had a good drive. He did. He had a really good drive. And I don't know. Being a little bit dismissive, he's been pretty good in the preseason. Yes. In both games, he's done something that has made you look. But how did we go so quickly? Skipping all the other steps, 100 miles an hour, like, oh, my God, they have to put him on the active roster right now or everybody else in the league is going to come take him away. And then what? What? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> what, what, what happened to us here? Isn't somebody isn't why can't it be a nice story that a division two quarterback given an opportunity in a training camp, looks the part and can make some throws and maybe establishing himself as a developmental prospect. Isn't that okay? Yes, that should be okay. But that's not what we do here what for some reason. What are we doing? Well, really? We're doing deification. 
Right. This is what we're doing. We, we just we, we can never stop. We can't help ourselves. It's true. It was fun to watch. It's been fun to watch, and I'm looking forward to him in the next game. And, and I think that it's incredible that he's played this well against what is better competition than what he was playing against by a factor of 10. And he's, he's more than held his own. He's made good throws. He's made good decisions. Here's the thing. The people who fear losing Tyson Bajan, my question to you is, what is it that you actually fear here? Because what you're talking about, if everything goes right, is losing someone who eventually would be your backup quarterback because you're all in on Justin Fields, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what you're telling me is that you you would you're you're not okay with testing the waters of of allowing him to go through waivers to see if he can be signed to your practice squad. And the thing is like, oh well, you know, he's got to be on the active to be your third man. Right. They pl- they can play that game on Saturday night. He can be on the practice squad all week, and then they can decide whether or not the the 45th dude or him is more important. And they can say, okay, now we're going to elevate him to the active, and he's going to be our emergency third quarterback. If that's what you want, I, if, that's, if that's what you need. Less than half the league last year had three quarterbacks on a roster. I think that he would be a really interesting developmental project. The problem is is that you already have one. And that's where all your resources and time goes. And honestly, to me, the best thing for... Here's how I look at it, Dan. You could tell me if I'm wrong. I think that you have to look at your backup quarterback... I, I look at it as two and two. If there are four games that your quarterback misses, can your backup quarterback go two and two in those games? Because that's that's all you should expect mm-hmm. is for that person to go 500. If I were an NFL general manager or NFL head coach, would I want Tyson Bajan anywhere near a game that I needed to win? And the answer is not yet. No. It's not no. Maybe someday. It's not yet. But I'm intrigued enough to see a little bit more. The fact that we've already jumped ahead to the part where people are, well, this team will claim them. I I think it's unlike. I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's unlikely that he would be claimed. We talk about the Tyson Bajant situation um, in full context, because I have some context that I want to make sure I bring to okay. it. Let's talk about how he looks as you've been watching him in two games playing quarterback. 
What, what does he look like to you as you're watching the man play quarterback game? I think, you know, when you're thinking about a second-string quarterback for other NFL teams that come in and wow you, and then you, you're so envious as a Bears fan because something like that never happens, then you get to watch P.J. Walker for a series or two. Woof. You, you saw Nathan Peterman for the, you know, la, the latter half of the game. And in between, there was this sparkly, shiny, fun, <laughs> professional quarterback that you saw and you thought to yourself, yeah, th- when I watch good quarterbacks play, not not saying, I'm not trying to put the praise, I'm just talking about, you know, what we saw and the level of comfort, because that re- that's really what it was. When you watch that and you try to figure out what is this that I'm seeing that makes me feel good about this situation, it's, oh, I picked up the blitz. I see the guy coming. I see the slot corner right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm going to throw the ball there on target to the wide receiver so that that way, you know, my lead receiver can block. That sounds great. I'm going to, with perfect timing, get up to the line and call a quarterback sneak, and I'm going to choose the side of, of which side of the center I'm going to run to so mm-hmm. I can pick up the first down. Simple things like that, third and three, get hitting the check down the right way. Again, it's just the way you felt about a Coach Eberflus last season where you're like, oh, finally, this these all seem like the right decisions. It, it felt like that for that brief moment when you were watching him. He's decisive. He, he has looked to me decisive on like quick slants and quick hitters, getting the ball out of the pocket fast to the primary receiver if he's open. So executing that kind of thing which is like the basics of, you know, game management and like carrying you through your system and what you're trying to do. He has also, though, looked very quick as he scrambles uh, to his right, makes an accurate throw on the run a couple of times. Um, and the, the ball, it gets out on time and it's accurate. He's, he hasn't thrown it very deep much. He had one deep throw against the Titans. He ran his way forwards into a sack at one point against the Colts. But he's looked very competent and very sure of himself. As Danny said last week, 31 of 32 teams went to his pro day. He was widely thought to be the best quarterback that didn't get drafted. So that means he's right on the edge of being a sixth or a seventh round quarterback. Luke Getze fell for him at the Senior Bowl where Getze was his coach. So that's a big reason Love why that. he's even here. So Luke Getze's got a connection with him. I don't think he's going to be a star, but I think he's going to last around this league as a backup. So here's here's what they got to decide, Gabe. Is he your third-string quarterback? Or are you going to carry three? Last year, only 12 teams carried three quarterbacks in the NFL. But isn't the rule different this year? The Here's what's different. The emergency quarterback rule means you can make one inactive on game day, but then they can play. If somebody goes down, it's in reaction to what happened with the 49ers. But you have to have them on your 53-man roster. So it's still a decision of whether you carry three quarterbacks on your 53-man roster. And if you try to get them to the practice squad, some other team who's earlier in a rebuild or hates their quarterbacks can just grab them. So would Tyson Bagent make it to the practice squad or would some other team snap him up after a fairly impressive preseason when he's got some of the credentials we've been discussing. I don't know. Yeah, I can't imagine an NFL team is going to say, wow, did you catch that series and a half or two, and, and I want to bring that guy in? Because I, I, a lot of people are so dead set on who they have. Like we're, the Bears bringing in a Peterman, right? Are there other quarterbacks out there last year that would have been better than him? Sure. Mm. But you feel comfortable with him. You've, you, you, you feel as though he can run the offense or your offense, and I think the same would hold true. At least that's just me probably – hoping 
in the in the event that no one takes him so that that way he can end up on the practice squad. Yeah. Because he does look when's the last time the Bears had a quarterback they drafted that you liked? I'm talking about in later later rounds. That wasn't supposed to be a outside of Justin Fields. This yeah. this feels like they found their Brock Purdy. Somebody who's thoroughly functional. Like and maybe yeah. Brock Purdy is obviously a, a higher ceiling, but like just like people do find guys, like find quarterbacks. They're like, oh yeah, that, that person could help me get through a game, could help me win a game, and execute the offense if we have good runners and a good offensive line and good weapons. Did you- the Bears' offensive line is a mash unit right now. We saw Darnell Wright get injured at uh, practice yesterday. Now five of the top six on the depth chart dealing with injuries on that O line. Eberflus has called Tevin Jenkins' injury a week-to-week issue, but reporting from Brad Biggs claims it could take into or through the month of September. My question for you is about this preseason finale. I know that we all kind of want to see Justin Fields get game reps in this preseason finale, but when you have five of your top six O-linemen going through injuries, shot or no shot, Fields does not need to play behind a second unit O-line in the finale. That's a no shot because he's got to be ready for the Packer game, not just available. That, if that's going to be the offensive line he's got to deal with in two weeks when Green Bay rolls in here, two weeks from Sunday, he's got to play, man. How are we protecting that guy? Period. I think that's fair to say that that is a, an opportunity for him to be able to say eight to ten passes, three or four different opportunities with series against uh, the Buffalo Bills because he's got to get himself ready. Look, the offensive line is never going to be fully intact for 17 weeks, and clearly there's some injuries there. We're not trying to say go, he should go out and get killed by the backup offensive lineman, but he does need some more time on the field. I'm sure that the plan was for him to play some against Buffalo, but now with the injuries, I mean, look, he's going to have to go out there with the twos anyway, looks like, for the opener against Green Bay. So I would say that he should play some against Buffalo coming up. I do hope the starters play more this week. I I was surprised, I guess, then when you hear the explanation from the coaches about the great work at the joint practices. Okay, I guess I'd still like to see this first-team offense get a little bit of run in the third preseason game. They did last year. Justin, I think, attempted about 15 passes, actually, in the third exhibition game last year. I hope that's the case this weekend. We won't know for a few days, though, uh, is, is my guess. But one more to go uh, before the lid lifter, and when it matters most, just under three weeks away now, with one final exhibition game against the Bills. I was somewhat perplexed uh, during the uh, week when I heard. Were you two? Yeah. yeah. What, what, what are we doing here? This is the game that they get the reps, and then the next game is the one you rest them, and then you go into the, the Again, regular season. Maybe they play this weekend. what I weekend. thought. We'll see. Don't know. I don't know what to expect. Uh, whatever happens, happens. Uh, I think the battle for the number two position uh, is a real battle. I think it is, too, your coach. I think the defensive tackles played better this week, 96 and 98. So they do something uh, in the regular season. I, I, I had that written down for yeah. you. Uh, the, the the backup Pickens Pickens, Pickens, Pickens and, uh, and Dexter. Dexter the backup thing here they they signed Walker because it seemed to make a lot of sense if you needed to use him if something were to happen to Justin where he'd miss games there's probably a very um, almost seamless transition in terms of similar type skill sets I guess you'd say uh, do you think that they're a little stunned that Bajan is pushing as much as he is 
because he's been the better quarterback uh, in camp and he's been the much better quarterback what, in the exhibition so season the for what thing, it's worth. The only thing you can judge anything on is what's happening. Right. And you, we get to see the games. So you judge things on what's happening in the games, in the exhibition games. And, you know, both of the guys are playing against backups. Both of them are. So you get to judge them as how they're playing against backups. If they were, they had their, everything kind of etched in stone that, that uh, Walker was going to be the second quarterback. You think they're. That no longer is yeah. necessarily a guaranteed case. They've stopped etching in the stone. I they, think, they're like, yeah. The engraver was starting right. and then they're like, whoa, whoa, yeah. wait a minute. I mean, thank, thank heavens they weren't working on the Claret Jug or something like that. <laughs> or, you know, they crossed off names off the Stanley Cup. Right. A.K.A. Peter Pocklington. Exactly. But my, I think my point is the announced conversation because of the play on the field by yeah. Bajan. Yeah. He's the guy that forced the conversation. And it might only be a conversation of saying, hey, well, he looks like a halfway decent quarterback. It's hard to tell, but it looks like a pretty decent quarterback. But because the first guy has not played as well, P.J. Walker. He struggled, man. Now it becomes a greater conversation and a bigger conversation. I think you nailed that. That, that he's opened so, up their eyes, it. I think, more than they ever thought he would. Now there's he a played lot like of... 53 games in college, yeah. and, and I get it. It was a Division two school, but that's right. a lot of football that he's played. There's and... a lot of idiots in the world, and they're out there, and they've got Twitter handles. But there's a lot of idiots in the world that think because you compliment one quarterback, you take away from Justin Fields. The play of Bajan has nothing to do with Justin no, Fields. No, right. Justin Fields is the quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Right. So we're talking about the backup. Talking about a backup. Yeah. That's like, what it is. Break glass but in case any, of emergency. Any, who's best suited for that? But in this city, any compliment of another quarterback, mm. for some reason or another, is taken as a threat upon Justin Fields. That's silly. Which might be some of the dumbest stuff I've ever read and or heard by some idiots that believe they're sports people. That's silly. So... I don't even, I mean. Well, it's uh, okay. I laid it out the way it was. Players who played this weekend, Yerk, Josh Allen, Tua, Mahomes played a lot, Daniel Jones, Bryce Young, you sort of expect Young and C.J. Stroud to play, right? You keep going. Um, players who didn't, in fairness. Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers. It sounds like Rodgers is going to play in the third preseason game, a surprise to some. Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott. To Yurko's point, I could keep going in both groups. Uh, there are more than one ways to do this. There's more than one ways to skin a cat. I get it. My preference would still be for the first team to play a little. Because I, I think there is some value in getting in and out of the huddle and seeing some of the live ammo and getting used to the speed that really is never going to be replicated in what they do with their own practices and training camp. Maybe a little bit more in these joint practices. I still Is it still a game? Even is it still a game? I mean, even with a truncated three-game exhibition season, the final game for me is the one you rest your starters because now you're almost to the regular season. Now they'll be two weeks away. Yeah, if you were being cautious, you wanted to be cautious, this is the time to be cautious. So for me, it would make sense for the offense and a lot of the key players not to play in this game because you're right there. You okay the if cusp. they do? Who? Are you okay if they do? I've got no problem if they do. Okay. I would just think this is the one you want to rest on. Why the second one? I makes no sense. Okay. Whatever time he needs, his safety most important. Do you believe the line issues will prevent him from playing against Buffalo? I don't know. It, it's worth uh, it's worth thinking about. To me, if if you've got one lineman that's going to be out, um, and you don't don't play him against the Bills because of that then um 
you're, that uh, doesn't say a whole lot about the work you've done throughout the off season and training camp to build some depth behind one guy. You know what I'm saying? Like if if you've got two, three linemen that are out, okay, I think that's time to sit down and have a discussion and figure out, you know, w- what the football team needs and what's best in that situation. But if you're talking about just having one lineman down and then that's going to change the trajectory of what you were doing for your plans, then you, you probably have failed in terms of, uh, you know, c- creating – uh, some, some depth. What's what's Flus always say? They they talk about having a spare and a pair, mm-hmm. or, or a pair and a spare. I don't know which order he puts them in, uh, he, but he's talking about having a, you know depth and backups across the board, guys that are versatile and can fill in in multiple roles. Uh, so if if Tevin Jenkins is the only starter, that's not going to be available, and based on that, you don't play Fields. You're, you're probably condemning um, what you've got behind Kevin Jenkins, I would think. But Darnell Wright limps off of practice. Don't know the extent of that injury. Nate Davis still being ramped up. Cody Whitehair apparently has a hand injury, Brad. I wonder if that will compel Matt Eberflus not to play Justin Fields. And if he doesn't, how much confidence would you have or would it be shaken at all by the fact that Justin Fields will go into the regular season with seven preseason snaps? Yeah, well, it you know it's one of those deals where you know, they well what you'll hear from them I would expect would would be uh, you know all the great work they got uh, done in training camp all summer how you know everything was on pace that they they hit everything they wanted to uh, accomplish but um, yeah there, there's reason they have these games there's reason you know I wrote it last week and some people uh, just wanted to completely dismiss it but. There's a reason Andy Reid plays Patrick Mahomes, and by doing so, does what? Well, he exposes the the best quarterback in the world to the possibility of injury in a meaningless game. But but he does so because Andy Reid, who will be in the Hall of Fame one day, finds you know value for Mahomes and the other starters uh, taking snaps in uh, exhibition games. So. Uh, is it something that could come back to bite the Bears uh, in week one against Green Bay if the starters don't go? I, I don't know. I, to me, there would be probably bigger issues involved there if uh, if they come out and, and do not uh, perform well. But I, I thought coming out of Indianapolis, it looked to me like the plan was going to be to put definitely, definitely play the starters against the Buffalo Bills. Um maybe into the second quarter, give them a good run, which is what they did a year ago when they uh, closed up preseason over in Cleveland. So we'll have to see. Hopefully um, hopefully the right thing is super minor, right? I mean, that uh, I'd start there. Iberflus seems to believe that uh, the white hair hand issue is not uh, a big deal, and they're ramping Lucas Patrick up and – Nate Davis is doing a little more each day, so hopefully it's headed the right direction. But, guys, Tremaine Edmonds was day-to-day, and, you know, in him being day-to-day, and we're not talking about a lineman, we're talking about a linebacker, but he was out 18 days. Like, Edmonds returned to practice uh, yesterday. Uh, that's the first time we'd seen him on the practice field since August 4th. So, um, day-to-day can, uh, can 
can be stretched out uh, by Eberflus, that's for sure. And how would you try to mix the two, getting your guys enough work, but, but also mitigating the risk of injury at the same time? Well, to me, I mean, football players are paid to play football. You know, I did Pittsburgh's training camp. Mike Tomlin has those guys trained that any time that they have the pads on, they are full go. Everybody is live. They tackle to the ground. And that's why they bring a level of physicality that nobody's ready for at the beginning of the year. I mean, look how they took down Cincinnati week one and picked off Joe Burrow four times. Uh, so Pittsburgh, in my opinion, Mike Tomlin, those guys are like old school football. When the pads are on, we're out here to get better. You're going to hit. You're going to tackle. Everything's technique, and it is very physical. And that's how that's how you get better playing football. You got to play it at some point. It's interesting you mentioned that because at the, the week one, the Bears have the Green Bay Packers in town, and this is a great opportunity for our Chicago Bears to make a statement in week one. And and it sounds like your concern would be, it's not. You know, it's not a given that they won't be ready to play, but but maybe they won't be as ready to play because of the lack of reps in game situations. Yeah, the, well, I mean, think of the defense. They haven't had, I mean, even in this game, I talked to Alan Williams, the defensive coordinator. At all levels, they haven't been out there as a unit. I mean, Edmonds has not really practiced, right? Yeah, it's fine. He's doing the walkthroughs and all that, but at some point, you got to do a full speed. Eddie Jackson was down. The D, uh, Walker hasn't been uh uh, in there, and so as a unit, as a whole, how much have they actually done together? I mean, so yeah, you just wonder if they're if they're going to be gelled together as a full unit on both sides of the ball. Former Bears quarterback uh, Jim Miller joining us. He does, of course, all the preseason games on Fox on uh, the hometown call uh, for the Bears. It's Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. The one thing that is has bothered me, Jim, and I talked to Thayer about this on the radio pregame show here on ESPN 1000, is the notion that September is a ramp-up period. I get it for Kansas City. I get it for Cincy. I get it for Buffalo. For the teams that that can't afford a couple of games slip up who will make the playoffs and will peak at the right time to get to the Super Bowl. But like Waddle was just saying with the Bears, like you're setting a culture, the division's wide open, you're playing your rival. I want them ready on September 10th. I don't want September to be a feel-out month. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, week one is, is a division opponent. You win the division, you get to the playoffs. I mean, that's how it's always gone. Uh, in the NFL. So the goal needs to be to win the division. In week one, you got a division opponent, a rivalry nonetheless, one of the most historic rivalries in football. Yeah, you better be ready to roll, in my opinion. As a former quarterback, Jim, give us your input or your take on, on what you're expecting to see from Justin this year, what he needs to do to get better to take that next step. I think for him, it's about processing the information. You know, he's got to get the ball out of his hand. I think we know the 55 sacks he sustained last year, it's unacceptable. That's not all on the offensive line. Uh, you know, that's on him to be able to process the information, get the ball out of his hands. I, I think a modest goal for, for him, he's got to cut his fumbles in half, right? He had 16 fumbles last year where the ball was on the ground. Uh, the interceptions need to go down because that's too many turnovers overall. And I just think for him, you know, he needs to be about minimum 3,500 yards passing. Uh, I think we know 2,300 yards or 2,400 that he threw for last year is not enough. You know, the, the running game, I think, can be just as good as, as what it was a year ago 
but I think the play-action pass game off of it has to be much better. And that's certainly a lot on Justin Fields to get the ball out of his hand. I can't hear you, Aldo. I muted myself. Sorry. I uh, I was telling Zach that I really like putting those together. It gives me an opportunity to check in on Chicago sports radio, and uh, because I, you know, I'm always, I always got the headphones on. I'm editing something, and so to put that segment together, it takes a few hours, uh, but um, it's it's fun. I. I, you know, a lot of people are critical of Chicago sports radio, but I at least find it entertaining. I think there's some talented people there who have some good opinions. They get good guests and so forth. I don't mind sitting through it. I mean, sitting through it in that highlight version is a lot easier than sitting it when you're in your car and they're going to commercial break every 12 minutes. It's like, uh, so uh, the podcast format is the way to go. The gra- uh, graphics are so good on that. I hope people realize like all those graphics on that mashup. Thank you. Like the, the fonts and they're flashing. Then you got the, you know, the cool laser going around. Yeah. A little eye candy, as they say. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of uh, any particular uh, opinion shared there uh, regarding <laughs> playing the starters or anything that you guys want to comment on? I, do, you, do you mind if I go first, Danny? No, go ahead. All right. Two of the dumbest smart guys, Bernstein and Holmes. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the Bears could take a page out. This is they can't find a reason for why, you know, the Bears should keep uh, uh, Tyson Bajans. But you know, the Bears could take a page out of the Packers' playbook and develop young quarterbacks and flip them later for draft picks. You know, like the Packers did that. I don't know how long they did that for. You know, or uh, uh, develop into a starter uh, in case. You know, either Fields doesn't resign with the Bears or, uh, I mean, career-ending career injuries happen all the time. I mean, Tariq Cohen, who incidentally is trying to make a comeback, you know, while the Bears are trying to find a punt returner, had almost a career-ending injury, mm-hmm. you know, and he was a Bears player. How many times have we heard Bears GM say, we need to draft or we should draft a quarterback every year, you know, because you never know. Either they, they turn into a competent backup, they turn into someone – Another team comes and said, I'll give you a second round pick for or third round pick or fourth round pick or, or anything, you know, because uh, teams aren't going to come around and, and offer you much for for Nathan Peterman or P.J. Walker. You know, at the end of the season, you can trade those guys away. You know, they're not going to give you much, but they might give you something for Tyson Bajan if, uh, mm-hmm. if he develops into something maybe in a couple of years. That's why you keep a guy like that. Go ahead, Dan. Again, I, I don't want to sound like I, I don't have a problem with the guy. I just I think it's a little fast to to for everyone to think that he I agree with you. I pointed out what Greg said because I thought, well, man, is that the the consensus amongst people, you know, because Greg knows people, right? You know, he was worked in the front office. Is this the pulse of what others are thinking? That he's someone that is viable, and not to say he isn't, but I, I think we'd have to see more on Saturday before mm. we can make that determination. I mean, what if he goes out there Saturday and, and throws a pick? Do you immediately, uh, even if he does, that doesn't mean he's not going to be any good. But mm-hmm. then everyone will go the other way and say, ah, he's not going to be any good. He threw a pick and, hey, P.J. Walker let a scoring drive. That's my guy. <laughs> Sometimes we get a little bit, we flip-flop too much 
and I'll yeah. put myself in there too. Yep. So That's I'm not point. any better. I, I, I mean, just don't we're just talking about this point in time, Dan. Like you said, just at this point in time, like between now and next and the next preseason game, he could either light it on fire or he could, like you said, fall on his face. But we're just talking about at this point in time where he's looked better than the guy they signed for four million dollars. Well, the the good thing for for this gentleman is his future is in front of him. He has an opportunity that most people don't get. You know, I mean, all of us are fans, and he's worked his ass off to get this opportunity. He's deserved, he, I'm sure he deserves it. There are a lot of people that still deserved it and didn't get it. So he's got a chance to make his future. And so as a human being and, and a Bears fan, I'm rooting for him. So, hey, I hope next week we come on here and say, we can't cut him. What are we talking about? We do cut him. He is definitely like make us not want him to to you know make us advocate for him. Make us pound the desk and say, motherfucker, we can't cut him. Let's see it. See it against yeah. Buffalo. I mean, if you look at it from like Aldo and I as long suffering Bears fans, we never have uh good court as Bears fans, you know, we never have good quarterbacks. Now we've got Justin Fields. Now, you know, it looks like fortune's turning. We've got, we've got Fields who could do amazing things on the foul. Now we find this undrafted kid who, uh, who might be a, a competent backup or someone you can develop. Like I said, flip for a draft pick later. You know, it's like for years we had nothing at quarterback. That's why fans are excited about the kid. You know, we, we got, Poles went out and signed PJ Walker. Said, eh, okay. I could see that. Yeah, Nathan Peterman, you know, there, there wasn't much fanfare for a Nathan Peterman, even though he's probably great in the quarterback room. You know, he's probably great on the sidelines. He's probably, when Fields comes off the, off of, uh, off the field and sits down on the bench, he's got the iPad. He could show him, hey, this is what I saw. You know, that's why you keep a Nathan Peterman around. A guy come in and make some plays, too. If, if something happens for whatever reason, you know, he's got to come in for a series or two. You know, if, but it feels like to me, there's always one of these guys. It's usually not quarterback, to be fair, uh, because the Bears haven't had a lot of success at quarterback. But yeah. there's always like Mike Hass or uh, Taylor or Tyler Gentry. What was his name? Something Gentry. Taylor Gentry, Tyler Gentry. Tanner. Tanner, Tanner Gentry. Gentry. Yeah. There's always a guy like that that in camp, it looks like, oh, he's going to be a star. And then Gentry did get active a little bit in the regular season and he fell on his face. So. I'm not saying that this guy isn't going to be any good, but again, I just feel reluctant to champion him right now. Let me ask you guys this question because this is, you know, an important part of considering what we're going to do with Tyson. And that is, do you want to carry three quarterbacks in your 53 man roster? Do you think that with the injury situation uh, that it would be better to cover to carry two quarterbacks? Like I think it was a home said half the teams in the league cover had uh, more than half the teams in the league had two quarterbacks on the 53 man roster. So let's start there. Do you, I'll start with you, Tooch. Do you think that we should have three or two quarterbacks in the 53-man roster? Well, for me, it would be three because it's the most important position in sports. But uh, I, I, I seem to I have the back of my head there being a rule about keeping an emergency quarterback uh, on the roster. I'm not sure whether that's a, a, a player that's from the taxi squad and can, no. can be – 
That would, yeah, that exactly. So that would be uh, it, that that quarterback has to be on the fifty-three man roster in order okay. for him to be an emergency quarterback. Right, and and uh, he could be inactive but play in the game. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. So if you are down your two starting quarterbacks, and there is absolutely no question that they cannot return to play, then the NFL this year has started this new rule where that third quarterback that has stressed yeah. for that game can enter the game. It's they're yeah. calling it the. Brock Purdy rule uh, because when Brock got hurt, there was like nobody to play quarterback for the 49ers. For me, uh, it would be three quarterbacks because you hate to be in the situation where both your quarterbacks get injured in a game and you got nothing. Hmm. What do you You think, Dan? Well, the idea that he could be in street clothes in the first quarter and then, oh, shit, uh, our two quarterbacks have gotten hurt so we can get him dressed real quick in the fourth quarter, that is appealing. So he doesn't have to be active. He could be one of your 53, but you can only dress, what is it, 40? How many is it? 46? 48. 48? 48. 46, I thought, but it could be 48. It's hard to you get the point, though. He doesn't have to be initially one of the ones dressed. Mm-hmm. So I like that, you know, in the event that – you because injuries happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it just happens. And, like, the San Francisco thing encapsulated that, which it should have been – something that everyone was cognizant of anyway going to a championship game. I remember that day I was I didn't watch the game. I was at a movie. I was at that Cronenberg Sons movie. <laughs> uh, Infinity Pool. Yeah, Infinity yeah. Pool. And I watched the AFC title game, but I was like, why isn't Garoppolo active? I mean, what happens if, you know, I, I'm not going to say I jinxed him, but like they could have had Jimmy G right there in the wings, but they just put all their eggs under Brock Purdy and you saw what happened. Indeed, I, I I think you know this season. If if they really believe that Tyson is a guy that you need to keep in the roster to develop, then you sh- you have to keep three quarterbacks because you want the second stringer to have some NFL experience. Now, if they if if they choose to start Tyson in week three of the exhibition season and he goes out there and throws three touchdown passes, I'm like, you okay. Can't cut him. Yeah, you can't cut him. No, he's your number two quarterback. He's he's your number two. You drop Peterman and, and put PJ Walker in the practice squad or whatever combination, you know, and eating Walker's two million dollar salary, that's not the end of the world. But if he's if he goes out there, the one like when I when I look at that drive, uh, is just how much he looks like a quarterback. And when you hear him talk, he sounds like a quarterback. He says all the right things. He's got leadership skills. He's got a strong arm. He's got awareness. His accuracy was on point. He was throwing accurate balls with the exception of that one incompletion. So it, it's all very, very promising. But as Luke Getze said, you, you also have to factor in what he's done in practice because if he's been inaccurate in practice, because if he has been slow to pick up the 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 uh, playbook, um, if other things have gone wrong during those periods where we have not had our eyes on him, then, yeah, then he can't be the backup quarterback. That's for sure. He's, he's either a practice squad player or the, or the number three quarterback on Sundays. What do you do if Peterman lights it up Saturday? Like, seriously, what if Peterman throws for 300 yards or something? Then you're like, oh, shit. I mean, it's a good problem to have. Absolutely. The top top three guys are Fields, obviously, and Peterman and Bajan. 
I, mm-hmm. I don't I mean Peterman obviously has experience in the West Coast offense, which uh, by all accounts is the most difficult offensive system for a quarterback to learn. I mean, a voluminous playbook, you know, terminology that's probably uh, something that you know young quarterbacks aren't familiar with. But Peterman, he's been in systems like that. He, he's like this is his seventh year in the NFL or sixth year in the NFL. He's been in, in a few West Coast offenses. Uh, P.J. Walker's with the Panthers. They don't run a West Coast offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, by all accounts, maybe he's struggling with the playbook a little bit, just like Fields did when he first got to the Bears. Absolutely. You know? It's a big undertaking, learning that playbook and learning yep. the terminology and so forth. Uh, another uh, interesting battle that is brewing is at the running back position between Roshan Johnson, Deontay Foreman, and Killa Herbert. Where are the snaps going to go? I, that's got to be a tough They one. all look good to me, man. They do. I love it. I love they it. Do. And then when you heard Foreman, if you heard Foreman in his press conference today, he sounded less than happy that he hasn't gotten more than the 17 snaps he's gotten in, in two preseason games. He wants to showcase what he can do, and he said it, it's, it'll take more snaps than so, I've been getting. Can I ask you a question about Foreman? So do you think I, – because I, I didn't know this about him. I mean, uh, I wonder if it's, uh, it's the Bears – you know, because Foreman's a guy with an injury history, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. He's been, he's had, he, he just broke out last year and he's been in the league four or five years, you know, but he's been injured. Very true. Years, you know, but it's either the Bears protecting him or, uh, you know, he wants to show people I might get cut. <laughs> people know I can still play, you know. Yeah. I don't know good which point. is which, but I, to me, he looked pretty darn good. He was catching the ball, he looked fast, mm-hmm. uh, he looked strong. So, I mean, to have three good running backs, you know, yeah. uh, I'm really happy. And then you got Travis Homer, who is an excellent pass blocker. So he factors on getting some third down looks and a really good special teams player. So they're going to have four guys on that 50-man roster. And, you know, or maybe, you know, you get a call from a team that is desperate for a running back and they've got a fifth or sixth round pick for Deontay Foreman. Um, Who knows? It could happen. What do you think, Dan? It's interesting to me now, again, that second game was so horrendous for me with the Colts, just just terrible announcers. I felt like I was watching a minor league baseball game. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not just saying that because it was the other team. They were fucking terrible. So I don't think I saw Khalil Herbert Saturday, but maybe I'm wrong. Who the fuck knows? I, I don't think I saw him play. So he, if that, he didn't play. Yeah. Well, I don't think I've seen Herbert but active but like five plays then, like one drive. So if and he took it to the house, and I don't think I've seen him since. So having said that, it seems to me, if they're not playing Herbert at all, he's probably the unquestioned starter. Yeah. So maybe I, Foreman knows that and is like, man, fuck that. I'm better than this dude. Like, why am I not getting more chances to prove it? Maybe yeah. he feels like he's being held down. I, I don't know. I can't speak to it mentally, but it seems to me if if uh, Herbert is not even getting in there to show that he can pick up the blitz now. They must believe in him and think that he's the number one guy. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because I, I do think that there's been a very concerted effort to help Herbert with his pass blocking, and so only time will tell. Only a game-time situation will tell. Um, but if he if he doesn't pull his weight with pass blocking, even Roshan Johnson looks pretty good at pass blocking. That kid is so versatile. He can do just about anything. I love this running back room. It's one of my favorites since the, I guess, 
I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Matt Forte. I know Dan is, and I, I don't know, Tutra, do you like Matt Forte? Oh, yeah. Love Matt Forte. Yeah. Yep. Modern 21st century running back. I love him. I can't remember how many times I saw the back of his jersey running away from guys. Yeah. Break off long runs, you know. 22 oh, Forte. Oh, that one cut that he has downfield, yep. and he's already like 10 yards downfield. He makes that cut, and, and nobody yep. could touch him. Yep. Dan, you, you, Dan, you want to uh, share some hatred towards Matt Forte? I don't hate Matt Forte. I just the, I felt that he was overloved because, you know, if it's third and two, there's a reason we yeah. were bringing in Chester Taylor and Michael Bush. Like somebody right. else had yeah. to carry the ball there. He wasn't going to pound it up the middle. And most of my recollection of yeah. Matt Forte making breakaway runs was a result of a screen pass. Mm-hmm. It wasn't him running the ball. He was like a Marshall Falk type. He's going to catch a wheel route or a screen and then take it, which again is great. I mean, he could, you know, he could break plays. I give him that, but yeah. I just felt like I like a back, whether it's Walter or. You know, I'll always bring up LeGarrette Blunt. I always liked him. Or John Riggins. Somebody, you can hand the ball, and they they fucking run us somebody over and, and get your third and one. I don't yeah. think Forte was that player. Okay. 20 guys did not practice today uh, for the Bears. 20. Uh, Deontay Foreman was asked about injuries and whether he was concerned. Definitely. I mean, yeah, of course, you know. Um, but, you know, those – I mean, I see the, guy, the work that those guys put in, you know, on a daily basis, even though they're not on the field. I see the hard work that they're doing off the field. So, you know, I mean, very hopeful, and you know, that those guys will be ready to go when it's time to go. God, do you know who he looks like to me? No, who? Uh, and the younger version of him, not now as a grown man now, but I'll just say his character name. He looks like Theo Huxtable. Ah, I see that, yes. Welcome Jamal <laughs> Warner when he was on the Cosby show. That is right. <laughs> I see Malcolm Jamal Warner pop up every now and then on a TV show in a guest role or, or something like that. So he's still out there. Asking. He's still getting gigs, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's good at what he does. Uh, J2K says, what I loved about Forte was that he consistently hit the weak side shoulder of the defender and picked up extra yards. Yeah. Forte is a good player. I wish he wasn't so sensitive on social media, though. <laughs> Did he yeah, stop I mean, following you then? <laughs> yeah, another guy that they brought in because of his deficiencies and what I was saying was Marion Barber. Of course, we know what happened in Denver, and he's passed on, so I don't want to kick him. But, again, every year they were trying to sign a guy that could do what he couldn't do. And what mm-hmm. he couldn't do is the reason that I thought he wasn't a complete back. I didn't yeah. mean. I don't mean that he wasn't good. Yeah. Well, we've got about 10 minutes left. Any final yeah. thoughts on the Bears? Because I do want to get this. I do have one question. I know the Bears have a number one waiver priority. Could they, like, wave Badgett and then just claim him right away? Uh, I know they can't. You, you I know, know they what, can't, <laughs> You and I think alike because that, that thought actually ran through my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted uh, to touch on something Tooch said in his uh, State of Affairs. Please. The, the Chris Jones thing probably – could happen if the part with one of those number ones, which I don't want them yeah. to do. Yep. But it's if I'm sure if they called KC and said you could have one of our two number one picks, this motherfucker would be starting against Green Bay. I mean, I oh, think yeah. they would trade him for it first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jordan Love wouldn't have a have that good of a game if he was starting for us that first game. Mm-hmm. But. Well, I don't want to do. I think we need to to get another lineman in here. I I don't. From what I saw, it looked like Leatherwood was doing okay again. Yeah. I, I saw Carter give up a sack at one point at right guard, but I just I God, I couldn't follow what was going on. I felt like I had attention deficit disorder because those fucking announcers were just so dreadful. 
and they weren't really focusing on the game or watching it. They, they, man, they were acting like this was no fucking big deal. Like they were watching the, a fucking game at a, at, at a sandlot. Yeah. They, they were so up. unprofessional. They should take a look at Dalton Risner, who's still out there, free agent guard. You know, if we're going to yeah. have, you know, a highly, highly Greg. graded. I talked to Greg about him, and I, I, I love Dalton. I met met him at the Senior Bowl, interviewed him, and I, immediately after the game, I said, dude, you play with an attitude out there, and he, he started laughing and stuff. But Greg says that he doesn't have the athleticism to fit into this line. Now, he's not ruling it completely out because the Bears feel that they're in a dire situation and they can sign Dalton to a one-year contract as a stopgap. Yeah. Uh, then he he might be a, a solution just like Jason Peters was, but I, I got a feeling that Dalton is still holding out because he wants a multi-year contract, and, yeah, sure. uh, and I'm I'm shocked that he's still available to be honest with you because he is a good player. All right, uh, let's shift gears here. Silo, uh, Tooch said, watch Silo. I, I really watched liked Silo. It. Oh my! The God, last episode crazy. ending was just like. Oh, mind yeah, blowing! Like, whoa, because he couldn't yep. figure out like what was going on when they leave the silo. It's like, right. what the heck? What is happening? Well, don't give anything you know? away. Yeah, I'm don't not going to give anything. Away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here is a teaser that uh, does a really good job of explaining the plot line. Yep. We do not know how long we have been underground, or who built the silo. We do not know why there is no life outside the silo. We only know that here is safe. And there is not. Have you ever noticed anything strange about the silo? Some mysteries are best left unsolved. What's the big question? What if everything you know to be true was one big lie? What do you think, Dan? Are you intrigued? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem bad. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to take on a like a, a new show right now during with football season being cranked up, you know. Yeah, right. but it, I could. I, I bet it's a good show from what I can gather. Really, really is. I, uh, uh, you know, I watched it on Tucci's recommendation, and a couple other people said it was good. And my wife and I, we started watching it like on a Saturday night at 6 p.m. And, so and you we, went through like a few episodes Saturday? No, we watched them all. We all started, yes. So we were up to like, what, 3 o'clock in the morning. The last four uh, or five, like 45 so minutes cool. each. Yeah, we had a great, great time. And for her to stay up and watch a show that late, because she's usually in bed by 9.30, uh, she was really, really into it. And wow, I, I nice. just, the writing is great. The acting the is, is great. great. The cast, the, the the way the silo looks, all of those yeah. things, brilliant production design. Really so I got, I got to tell you, so like, 
the silo, I mean, obviously there's probably some kind of green screen stuff, but it looks so like big inside, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, there's a bunch of levels. It, it could take like a couple days to walk from the top to the bottom or vice versa. They Easy. say in the show and stuff. And yeah. it's like decided it's like a, a uniquely like retro looking, you know, the, the computer terminals are old. It's kind of like the rooms are round, you know, like rounded yeah. in the back and stuff. And they're like, you know, uh, the stark concrete and uh, the tools are like old and worn and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really cool, man. It's, it's, a, it's a good show. And I, I spent most of that time because uh, I was watching. I had to wait until it come out like Wednesday. I didn't have the advantage gotcha. of, of, uh, of binging. Binge. So I was kind of like, what happened the last week? Okay. All right. So it's probably better when you binge watch it. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was spend the whole time was like gosh, I can't figure out, like, what happens, like, here and there, you know, like, I was, like, speculating about all these things, what the hell, is it something, you know, are they doing this? Exactly. You know, and and the uh, Common does a really good job as kind of like a bad guy. Tim Robbins is great. Yeah, Tim Robbins, man, one of the really great actor, you know, and uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson is great. Yeah, I'd never seen her before. She's a British actress. She's got the, yeah. the lead in that. Mission uh, Impossible movie. She was like Ilsa or whatever. Elsa. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. And a yeah. pseudo love interest of Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Dan, have you seen anything before football season? Have you jammed anything? Yeah, there's two things I would love to see if you had watched uh, from a couple weeks ago that I, I, you, I've mentioned her on the show before. I'm a big fan of the actress. And it's purely sexual. Not to say that she isn't talented. Uh, Annabella Ciara. Oh, yes. uh, again, yep. she was Gloria on The Sopranos. She was in Jungle Fever, The Hand of Rocks the Cradle, etc. Mm-hmm. But I saw two films of hers because one night I was home and I had nothing going on. And I was like, I just was looking through her filmography. And two old films, I'm like, how did I miss these? And I looked, I, I, I watched them. And man, I still said, how did I not know these? One of them from 93 Great cast here. It's called Romeo is Burning. Or I'm sorry, Romeo's Bleeding. You got Gary Oldman, Juliette Lewis, Roy Scheider, Michael Wincott, David Proval, James Cromwell. Uh, it is it is a, a awesome film. It says Romeo's Bleeding. This is from Wikipedia. It's a 93 neo noir crime thriller starring Gary Oldman. Blah blah blah. I just told you it follows a psychosexual cat and mouse, ma- cat and mouse game between a corrupt cop and a ruthless mob assassin who begins to unravel his careful constructed double life. It was very, very Tarantino-ish. It seemed wow. like like a true romance kind of thing. It's from 93, and it's... What was the name of it again? Romeo, Romeo is, is bleeding. bleeding. Romeo is bleeding. I've heard the of one, I've never seen it, though. The one unfun fact from it, I don't like John Bon Jovi anyway, Apparently, he wrote a song for the movie and was so unhappy with the movie that he pulled his song back. So, fuck you, Bon Jovi. It's a good film. (laughs) Dye your hair, Bon Jovi. There's one other one called uh, Whispers in the Dark, where Annabella is a therapist. It's got John Liquizamo in it. Uh, Alan Alda gets a lot of hate as I look at it from... uh, uh, the rasp, what are those called? The the antithesis of your the Oscar, the Raspies, or is that what they are? Razzies, Razzies. Yeah, I think he won a Razzie, but I don't. I mean, I think this was really good. I didn't know who the killer was. Uh, she's she's a lady that doesn't like get a lot of sex, but one of her clients is into bondage and is always telling her about it. So she starts having these sexual fantasies about it, and she essentially meets a guy and wants to kind of explore this shit now 
And it turns out it's her client's boyfriend. And the client sees them go. She doesn't know, but the client doesn't believe her and thinks that, you know, and then somebody dies. And then it's like, who the fuck did it? They're like literally like four different times throughout the film. I thought I knew who the killer was and I didn't know who the killer was. And I'm never really fooled in those sort of things. Uh, wow. It was very dark and sexual, though, both films and to a certain extent. But I thought both of them were like, how did I miss these? They were both very good films. Yeah. I'll have to check those she, out. She's in, she's in Tulsa King, if you watch uh, that, that show with uh, uh, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone. Yeah, which is no, very good. I haven't good. seen an episode of that. Is she, yeah, how does she look now? No, she's in her too, 60s. Man. It's kind of Sopranos-y, you know, and they send Stallone out to Tulsa to you know, run the racket in Tulsa. He's like 75 years old, too. Well, I know she's in her 60s. Annabelle how does she look now? How does she look now? I wouldn't say no. Well, <laughs> I thought legitimately, when she was younger and in her 40s, I thought she was like one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. <laughs> Search, you got anything you want to recommend before we pull the plug on this one? Yeah, a couple things. Um, I saw Barbie, you know, I took the girls, and I was like, uh, I'm going to hate this. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to focus on eating my popcorn, you know, but uh, but I really enjoyed it, man. It was fucking hilarious, man. The, uh, a lot of Saturday Night Live uh, cast members were in it and stuff, and it, it's really not for kids. It's it's more, it's like, it's intense social commentary, you know, on, right. and uh, there's musical numbers. It's a comedy. It's kind of a dark, it's a bit of a dark comedy too. Uh, and uh, the, the, the Ryan Gosling was freaking hilarious, man. He plays like the, the kind of frat boy, <laughs> like uh, there's like dancing numbers and stuff. It was really good, man. I, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, uh, it's probably not your guy's thing, but if you, if it happens to come on free TV, I mean, you definitely would go. Kate McKinnon was really funny. Ryan Gosling was hilarious. Um, you know, there's uh, Will Ferrell is in it as well. Um, I forget who else. Uh, there's an Asian American actor who was really funny in it too. He plays like another Ken, a Asian Ken. He was hilarious, man. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I'm actually looking forward to watching. Yeah. It. I'm interested in the career of the director Greta Gerwig. Uh, mm -hmm. We've seen a couple of her films, and she's she's going to be one of the big time yeah. Hollywood director names. Yeah. Uh, it looked to ass too, man. It was like colorful and trippy. You know, it was it was neat. And then uh, I've been watching Harlan Coben's Shelter on Prime, which is a mystery. It's got a little basketball in there too, and a little Stranger Things kind of stuff. It's, there's only three episodes out so far. It's it's a really cool mystery, man. Uh, if you like mysteries, uh, it's it's uh, it's got my interest so far. Cool, cool. All right, it is time for us to end the show. Dan Aguirre, you got any shout outs? You got any final words? You got any uh, sexual tips for us? Final couple things. I'll, I'll go in rapid. You know, hurry up and get it over with mode. I saw the Smashing Pumpkins again last night. Never disappointed. Great concert. Had great seats. Awesome. Nice. Uh, okay. Uh, Original band members too. All four. Everybody but Darcy. Okay. No, everyone Darcy. but Darcy. But who, who uh, she was the bass player. Yeah. Who played bass in the show? It's a it's a guy. I don't know. Uh, when they, she's allegedly on meth and stuff, and and hasn't performed in twenty years, so she just couldn't do that. Anyway, um, so our guy Sonny can't go to the Bears Packers game now, and that left me with the ticket. And I want to shout out my man Jay Bonds. He's going to take the ticket and pick me up from Aldo's house and take me to the game and, and bring me back. And it's Jay's first game ever. First ever Bears game. So, and more, uh, we really need to win this game for me and for Jay. So the Bears need to beat Green Bay. I don't know if this is a good sign or a bad sign, but 
Uh, Sonny couldn't go, so Jay stepping in. I shout him out and thank him for doing so. Dan, what is your record Bears games? One and seven. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was myself. It, it's I said to you. After that Packers game. Be two and seven. Well, it was yeah. myself and Aldo and Brandy at the Detroit game at Soldier Field in 21 is the only one I've seen that was a victory. Wow. That's a bad run. Your, your luck is going to change. And then uh, you had one other thing you were going to share with us, Dave. Oh, my God. I told you about the basement yeah. thing. We talked extensively. I'm getting a drainage system put in. It's As soon as I get back from Chicago after the Broncos game, the next day, it's a two-day job. They're going to do it October 3rd and 4th. But they, they added, like, I didn't know I have to have some kind of plug-in that has a ground in it, and they didn't tell me that before. So I called an electrician. This shit's going to cost 500 bucks just to get a fucking outlet put in. It's just like, I can't. I'm ranting, but I feel like I can't fart without losing $300. I mean, it's just like every step I, I take, feeling. every breath I take, someone's not watching me, they're fucking me. Did you did you, <laughs> did you get other quotes on that three? Because that seems excessive. Well, the part of it is this. First off, I asked my friend who is, was a policeman who's retired, and he recommended this guy because, A, he said he could vouch for his work, and, B, he used to work for the city and did all the electrical stuff for the city. So again, he's he's just accredited in that aspect. But part of the bill is he charged me $160 just to come out to the house. Mm-hmm. So he said, total, after he's done with the work, he said, look, I'm going to Staten Island, or is it Staten Island? Staten Island. Staten Island, New York, for a family reunion for like two weeks. He said, so when I come back, I'll do it. But he said, all in all, it should be between four and 500 but that allegedly includes the 160 I've already paid him. But either way, I wish the basement, the company that's coming out for that would have told me that before. They told me, oh, by the way, so the appointment is, uh, you know, October 3rd and 4th. You better have this done before, though. Like, why didn't you tell me that first? No shit. What the fuck? And then lastly, I got, again, I'm pretty sure it was somebody I know, but my signal light got smashed. I'm sure it was done to be a dick. I'm not going to say anything farther than that, but I'd order the part at AutoZone and took it to a garage. They're like, oh, man, this is the wrong thing. They ordered you the driver's side. You need the passenger side. Oh, fuck. I take it back to AutoZone, and the guy at AutoZone starts arguing with me, telling me that the mechanic is wrong. He's like, no, this is the right one. And I was like, well, he. I watched him try to put it on. It didn't fit. So I like have to beg him to order it and take the other one back. And then he charges me $15 more. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? He goes, oh, that's expedited shipping. I was like, well, I wasn't going to order. He's like, what's done now? So I said, okay, so I can get it on Wednesday then, right? And he goes, Wednesday of next week. I said, well, what the fuck kind of expedited shipping takes nine days? He goes, I don't know. It's going to be the 23rd. And I said, the 23rd is in two days. This was a Monday. He goes, no, it's going to be nine days from now on the 23rd. I said, that's two days from now. He goes, what day is it today? I said, the 21st. <laughs> so I don't know who the fuck I was dealing with, but I have no, con- I've got the part on the way to work today. It's in a box. I'm going to try to take it to the garage tomorrow. I have no idea if I have the right part or not. I feel like I have a 0% chance of it being the right part because this moron I was dealing with at AutoZone. You better your luck better change before you get on that plane to Chicago for that Packer game, motherfucker. Yeah, we need something, man. <laughs> need something, and hopefully we're gonna have like a. I'm gonna have. Podcast. 
I'm going to have a like a, a voodoo lady waiting for you at the airport. And she's just going to take out all these evil spirits that are in you so that you can start having a good run of luck here. Like sage. Like you have people sage their house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. got to do that. You got to sage me somehow. Like exactly. Cleanse me of whatever the cloud I am. I'm, I'm going to have sage all over the basement here so that you and I can hang out. My <laughs> dream is to come back. And to do the best podcast we've ever had because we're going to be so ecstatic about it being one and zero and a win over the Packers. Yes, like, I, can this please just fucking happen? I mean, mm. come on, don't we deserve at least one of these? Just <laughs> one. Sure. Come on, I mean, we, we've dealt with so much losing for thirty years. Can't we have one? Yeah, I'm. I'm afraid of what my reaction will be if the Bears lose against the Packers Week One. Um, you may not want to do a show then, right? <laughs> I, you know, I just I feel like I I will either be very emotional and teary eyed, or I will be very angry and you know like you know picking up shit and throwing it around. Um, I don't think there's going to be an in between. The Bears have to win that game. I don't give a fuck if if half their starters are, are hurt, got to win that game. I do not want to live with Green Bay Packers sticking it to us again in social media and my friends talking shit. I, I can't do it. I can't fucking can't do it. Matt Eberflus, you have to find that devil guy and sell your soul. <laughs> yes. <laughs> have you noticed he's been wearing regular T-shirts on the sidelines? I don't know if yeah. it's because it's the preseason. Is that his new look? I don't know. I, I I was wondering if he got like an endorsement with the obvious tees or some of the, one of those your <laughs> companies. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully uh, this shit gets fixed with my vehicle and then the basement will be okay somehow and the Bears win. Uh, I, I I told you this and let me tell everyone else this. I was I was listening to Sirius XM. I forget which v, DJ it was. Whatever. But he was going on and on and on about the season for a second and. He goes, yeah, I can't talk any shit about the Packers because my Chicago Bears are expected to suck this year, too. I was like, are we? I thought we were expected to be good this year. Did I miss something? I thought we were going to – we're playoff bound, right? Or we're at least in contention. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've seen the gamut. Some people predicting we're going to be last in the division. Some people were saying we're going to admit, be in the middle. And, and a minority saying we're going to win the division. But uh, that's why they play the games, right? Yeah, let's just hope we can – it's so soon, man. It's just like like uh, Cap said in that clip, two weeks from Sunday. Can't wait. In some regards, it feels like a month from now because where the preseason, especially after watching that Colts game, is such drudgery mm-hmm. that it just seems like ah, that can't be any, it can't be close from now. But it's fucking close. It really it is. is. I, they got to do something with that line, though. It really, really. I, I was concerned before the injuries. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you were. You, it's you, hurt you too. Me. Damn. Uh, you've been texting me about your concerns on the offensive line, and then right immediately afterwards, Whitehair hurts his hand. Uh, uh, Darnell Wright is limping after a practice. Like what? Lucas Patrick's fuck? always hurt. No one knows why or how. Jeez, how could that guy be? One thing we said could derail the season: offensive line injuries or just injuries in general. You know, we yeah. need a depth. We need a depth so bad. We need a talent. We need a depth. Ain't kidding. No. It's good to see Tremaine Edmonds back. He had a, a good press conference. He would not reveal what it was that uh, he said he had a couple of things going on with him, So, but he wouldn't reveal what they were. Uh, but he assured everyone he will be there at Soldier Field week one against the Green Bay Packers. And so that's a good thing. And he was asked as well, you know, isn't it going to be hard for you to start to gel with the guys, given you haven't 
seen any preseason action with them? And, and he said, no, because it's we've been communicating so well during walkthroughs, during film sessions, just talking stuff. We've got great communication going. So he doesn't expect there to be any rust, uh, you know, or any getting used to the new guys he's playing with. So hopefully he's right. It's got to be tough to start week one when you haven't really done anything because week one even it's not florida heat but chicago's gonna be hot week one yeah it's probably gonna be 90 you know i mean at least you're not on the old turf but still i mean it's gonna be hot like his what i'm saying is his conditioning could be a factor you would think because there's one thing from being ripped and looking like oh look how great i i appear right now i'm in great shape but football shape's a different thing oh shit yeah I totally so agree. That's concerned. You got then Davis. Uh, he's going to be in the same boat, I guess. Not played a week one. A Gakwe, uh, probably not going to play the week one. Yeah. So there's several guys that you're going to have to like probably substitute for more so than you will in week three or four when they kind of get their wheels under them. And just about everyone, every uh, every one of the 32 NFL teams is having similar problems with injuries. But I got to believe that. But the Bears, if you were to total up i mean 20 players missing practice today that's a hell of a lot you know when you got 90 guys to miss 20 that's i i, I don't do math what is it like 70 70 <laughs> so did commit did commit get hurt like like is he in jeopardy for week one or do we yes know? i don't know uh, the extent of the injury but apparently he, he was able to walk off the field but they did cart him out into the training room so i don't know what the fuck's going on it's supposed to be okay, but I mean, you know, it's like everything's the, so the secret. The Bears right love now. to lie, though. Yep, uh, they can, they can. They don't have to report anything until the uh, week of the first game. I uh, hope Wednesday. that the season starts and everybody is miraculously cured and ready to go, and we're ready to start fucking tormenting the other three NFC North teams. Just tormenting them. Can't wait. All right, uh, Tucci, you got any final words? Any final thoughts? Any final good wishes? Uh, someone mentioned like the uh, Notre Dame and Navy game in in Dublin, Ireland, and I, yeah, I, I love the Irish this year. Man, on defense, they they only lost Isaiah Foskey. They should be like pretty good defensively. They got they, they have a, one of the top offensive lines in the country. And Anthony, I've been going back. He likes Navy. I'm like, man, Navy had such a turnover. Their defensive line is so small. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, the the, the uh, Notre Dame's like a three touchdown favorite. I don't think that'll be a problem. I think Notre Dame will be one of the top 10, 15 teams in the country by the end of the year. Absolutely. They got a, a new quarterback. Uh, yeah. They still have a great run game. I think they pound maybe uh, in uh, in like their second home in Ireland. <laughs> so, but someone said Will Farrell was supposed to cover the game there, but yeah, I think it was Stephen Mee uh, uh, said that. In the chat, you know that new quarterback. I think his name is Sam. Sam Harmon. Hartman, yeah, Wake Hartman. Forest. Yep. Yeah, there's a video out uh, that uh, I guess he signed one of those endorsement deals that uh, college football players can do NIL with Beats, the headphone system. Okay. And so in the video, he has he has headsets for every one of the guys on the team, and they were <laughs> fucking ecstatic. Nice. And he was like, "I know this is going to be a long trip." To, to Dublin, so yeah. you might uh, need some headsets, and uh, good folks over at Beats took care of us. They're all, wow, that's a great nice. present. Really, really nice. A good way to endear himself with uh, his teammates. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, great show. i uh, so happy to have Jeff Perlman on. And, yeah, that was great. Um, Quick and- prediction, Aldo, before you wrap up. 
Who sure. is the Bears' starting center? Assuming White here is the left guard, who's starting at center? Is it Patrick or Kramer? I think it's going to be Lucas Patrick. I think they're going to go with too. the veteran. Um, I think that they like Kramer, and Kramer could swipe the job away this this upcoming Saturday against the Bills. But right now, I'm leaning towards Lucas Patrick. Do the Bears do something stupid like cut Kramer? I can't. I, I mean, they'd be stupid if they did with the offensive yeah. line injuries. I totally agree. The one concern, though, as Greg pointed out to me, is that he only plays that one position. And so they love guys that are versatile, yep. that can play the interior position if they're a center, play the two yep. guard positions, et cetera. I suppose so you could stash him on the practice squad without Yeah, him. which which uh, you wouldn't have to worry about him being pilfered. So, yeah, yep. practice squad is in his future, I assume. Uh at least Guys. Arlington Hambright was a cult this week and not a bear. Did you see that? Did you see that? <laughs> I, I was actually studying some What tape. a great name. Arlington <laughs> Hambright. It really is. A pipe smoking, pipe smoking offensive lineman. Monocle wearing pipe smoking. <laughs> exactly. Um, Zach Pickens was having his way with him, you know, and so uh, I, I, I – when Love I was Zach scouting, Pickens. yeah. When I was scouting the tape, I said, "Well, let me see who who it is he's lined up against." Oh, number fifty something. Uh, scrolling down, Arlington Hambright, former <laughs> former Ryan Pace seventh round pick. Yeah, so uh, I'm not that impressed, Zach. Show me that up no. against the Green Bay Packers starting right guard. Those are those are the picks that uh, Pace was just like, I got no fucking idea. Here's a dart throw. <laughs> exactly. Now we need some. I better pick an offensive lineman. Fuck. Right. right. Somebody from uh, a small school. Anything from small schools? I'll, I'll look smart if I if I hit on a small small school guy. Five syllable name players. <laughs> oh, you guys are the best. It's always great to do the show with you. This has been a lot of fun for Jeff Perlman, Dan Aguirre, Johnny Santucci. My name is Aldo Gandia. We are back here live with more programming. I who's on tomorrow? Crosstown Crosstalk. Yeah, I don't I think we've that. got a I don't think we've got a bear show until Sunday. Barfly Tailgate show. Those guys yeah. are back on their weekly schedule and they do a phenomenal job. Yep. So uh, God Friday, bless them. Friday, uh Tooch and Anthony yes. and Sean. Thank we'll you. We'll be going Thank over week me. zero, all the college football games. If you want to get in on man, I, I put my bet already on Vanderbilt uh mm-hmm. to pound Hawaii in Nashville. So uh, yeah. uh, you if you're gonna lay in. a bet anytime this season, make sure you're watching weekend sports yep. betting tip with Tooch uh, in the lead seat. And and what are the names of your two yep. calls? Sean and Anthony. Yep. Sean and Anthony. These guys know their stuff. They put the work yep. in, so you're not getting advice from somebody pulling shit out of their ass. So weekend sports betting Friday, tips. Seven p.m. Friday, 7 p.m. So you can check it out on demand anytime yeah. Friday night, Saturday morning. Get your bets in. All right, guys. Uh, God to Gabriel's uh, breakdown of this line crisis on Monday. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and actually, we don't have a show. Greg and I do not have a show on Monday because he wants to do it on Wednesday, the day after uh, cut downs are made. So he wants to evaluate the roster. So we're going to take Monday off. Maybe maybe uh, I'll jump in with somebody else. And- so it'll be us on Tuesday then the next time there's a... I- exactly. Well, a Butterfly uh-huh. Tailgate show on Sunday and then uh, this show on Tuesday. So correct. Uh-huh. We'll have a lot to talk about next Tuesday. Trust me, a ton. All right, God bless everybody, and God bless Johnny Santucci, Danny Aguirre, our resident agnostic. Safe to call you an agnostic, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, okay. But uh, I respect Christianity. Let's just say that.
Huh, I respect it too, but I, I, I'm not going to leave my kids alone with any of the clergy people. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, got to get some rest here. I got my first appointment with the doctor since surgery tomorrow morning. So um, wish me Good luck, luck, everybody. Good Hopefully luck with they, that. Hopefully they don't say, hey, I can't feel a pulse again. Send them oh, to no. the emergency room. <laughs> oh, God. Or they say I, it's just not healing. We don't know why. Yeah, you right. Don't hear that exactly. exactly. It's, a, I, it's an I extra diving charge. Uh, I got to talk to Joe about fantasy football goon, but uh, I think he wanted to do something this week. I, I, I thought, you know, Sunday would be fine this Sunday, like a preview of the season. And that should be Sundays right after Barfout tailgate. Yeah. So. And on Labor Day, Cliff, uh, Labor Day evening, we're going to have our uh, Barroom Fantasy Ooh. Football League draft live. Oh, that's going to be great. I didn't know yeah. we were doing That's awesome. That This is great yeah. news. It's, yeah. That was so much fun. Yeah, the draft awesome. show. The bar draft shows are hilarious. It's a yeah, they're funny and it's a great. You guys way haven't seen it. Yeah, you get some intel on some players. All right, guys, uh, take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye bye.